to another session of the Corona Investigative Community. Session number 135, we called it Coming Full Circle. I'm very happy to be back today and uh, helping to complete the loop because I was in bed for a fortnight. You can hear a bit of the rest in my voice. I, uh, it sounds like I got stuck on the bar, but it's not true. It was a flu where you probably hear the debris of the flu viruses. So if I need to cough or anything, please excuse me. I'm happy, however, to be back and uh, able to help in the enlightenment work. There's lots of things happening. It is sheer madness at times, and um, all the turncoats are trying to leave the mud and the information that could uh, become difficult for them is more and more emerging. I have a guest today, Dr. David Jungblut. I'm very happy. We know each other from the beginning of the crisis. We've had uh, contact there at the time. And um, my petition, which I started with, uh, and uh, my uh, author's work, an article that I wrote in the Rubicon that brought us into contact. And I was in the uh, mailing list where Jens Wernicke saw that there is more to the crisis and that brought us closer together. And we actually um, worked in a team in a lawsuit at the time. And so, not successful as all of them in the time, but uh, I think it was still worth it because people got together and uh, did things. So becoming active actually led to a positive effect, as I think. Let me just briefly sketch out the meeting for today. So today we have uh, David, Professor David Jontfeld with us. He is a former prosecutor, judge, and constitutional lawyer. He is going to talk about the failure of the justice system that we have experienced in the past years until today and how it was possible. And he's going to report on a trial against him as well. We have a doctor for general medicine and naturopathic treatment about a case against her for issuing allegedly false mask certificates. This is another case. We've had this in the past uh, sessions of uh, scientists and doctors being prosecuted in Germany. And then we have a founder of an American foundation to promote medical freedom and truthfulness, talking about the rescue of patients from hospitals in the past two years, the use of toxic drugs and a court case against the drug remdesivir, which, as we now know, cost many patients' lives. Um, we've, I remember I had an overview how toxic and expensive it was at the time. And so at least on the cost side, it was quite attractive, probably for the people who administer it. And then we have a Dutch lawyer talking on a recent and disastrous ruling against a world-renowned client, which tried to lay a cornerstone for travel bans for critics on measures in the, in the government 
in and out of the EU. I think this is very important to keep up with this. Some resistance has emerged from the mainstream side, even in Holland, against this. I think it's important to note what is coming around the corner here. So, David, now the stage is yours. Thank you very much. Uh, and it's nice that we meet personally in this way. So uh, we are coming full circle and I'm looking forward to uh, today. Uh, I'll, I'll start with my one. Yes, quite briefly, just one thing I'd like to welcome you, Wolfgang. Wolfgang. Yes, uh, it's good to be with you and to be with you as a doctor, as you're not all that well yet. Um, thank you and welcome from my side and thank you very much for your commitment. Uh, it helped me a lot uh, as uh, uh, part of the, uh, because without medical facts it's not possible. But before I uh, start and before, we, I'm no longer a professor. Uh, I'm just, uh, it wasn't extended my prof professorship and uh, I'm uh, just a doctor, but we can, uh, we, we don't need to use that. So, using a doctor's title, if you have it, cannot be filed by law. I don't know uh, what I should start with. Perhaps my uh, general status quo assessment or? Well, just towards the end of the year, maybe it's a good to give us okay, an overview uh, of the situation. A couple of legal aspects. Uh, when uh, I always switch off when I uh, uh, hear legal matters because everything has been said already about uh, Corona. And my impression is that many people in the comments and uh, during discussions no longer uh, well they still have a bit of interest but uh, they, they don't no longer trust uh, in the judiciary system uh, putting things right and at the beginning when uh, when we uh, when we talked to Hans Wernicke in my eyes it was wrong right from the beginning first because uh, uh, the judicial system in Germany and perhaps in all the countries uh, cannot uh, bring the government to uh, resign and I'm sure that this has never happened in, in my eyes. In under, it's it's not the uh, job of uh, 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 the legal uh, 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 system to uh, kick off these discussions. And uh, in my eyes, it was relatively uh, it, it was clear to me relatively quickly uh, uh, that it could be uh, that a legal case could be uh, brought, but uh, we shouldn't expect anything to come out of it. And uh, we have uh, already touched upon uh, it, the uh, legal procedures that were uh, taken were all unsuccessful. At the beginning, it was, uh, uh, it was uh, uh, the, the mandatory keeping of distances. It was about PCR tests, about transmissibility of the virus. Um, or whether a virus uh, exists even and the danger of the uh, it is always uh, negated because uh, they refer to the Robert Koch Institute which is ridiculous 
because that's uh, uh, an authority. It, it they were on the on the opposite uh, side, so we can't keep them as uh, major witnesses. And the question ultimately is, um, and it was uh, there from the beginning, uh, how to uh, manage this entire situation. And uh, Dr. Wodak, for example, uh, as far as I know, has uh, uh, addressed this, uh, has been addressing this for quite a while, because my opinion is that we cannot use institutions that we have. Now the question is, how, uh, what do you do, what follows uh, first in practical terms and then also in legal uh, terms? Uh, theoretically, uh, from a legal point of view, uh, the question would be, in my eyes, what we have now, uh, all the three, uh, judicative, executive and legislative, uh, have uh, failed. Uh, they are bankrupt. Uh, and uh, even though uh, if it had been rectified in a short period of time, in those days and weeks where we uh, counted on them, they uh, uh, made it clear that uh, they can just not perform their uh, function. And now three years have uh, passed and we still have not uh, seen fundamental changes. It's even more uh, justified to make this statement. Now the question is, what do we do? And uh, there is no best way. I think what's important is uh, to be, to, 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 and I said that in my one of my last interviews, um, that that we have to call out the situation, in my perception, particularly from the part of the opposition, through the resistance of many persons who um, say publicly what they think. But I think uh, what we should address here in what legal situation we are in, in now and to, I mean, uh, Hans Wernicke and Markus Glöckler published their uh, books which were about the, the uh, about the non-vaccinated people and the question uh, arose whether I think no cases have been brought against them, I think, uh, against uh, uh, someone from Spiegel magazine, but was then, I think, for whatever reason, I can't say, but it was withdrawn. And um, I think these are n n not important issues because a final medical assessment cannot be made, but uh, after vaccinations were given to people, people died, and we assume that there is a causal relationship which will uh, become apparent. Well, it, it, has, has it has turned out already, so well, the better, the better for it. Okay, thank you. And but to break it down, we, we have people who have died. 
due to the vaccination, and in my eyes, it's insubstantial, legally speaking, whether they were doing it voluntarily because they were misled or because they were under pressure from by the authorities and the media that they saw no other choice. I made that experience in my, amongst my own uh, uh, friends and uh, relatives. And uh, if they, these people, uh, die or suffer uh, personal damage, then we have, according to paragraph uh, 212, uh, uh, and it's in, in, insubstantial whether it was done from free will or not, but we're talking about the state, obviously we have to identify uh, the uh, people responsible for it. Um, I don't want to uh, uh, mention names, but if the state, due to a let me call it because of better knowledge have prompted people to have the injections done to them and then people die as a result then it is homicide in a legal sense and if that happens on a large scale then it is also it is a that there is a qualification. It's uh, murder uh, in uh, in a legal sense. May may I quickly inject something here? If I know that homicide has taken place, um, am I not punishable if I do not stop it? What about the doctor who knows it and doesn't do anything against this? Because they didn't uh, take any measures. Well, well, if I see that they carry on injecting people, I am punishable if I don't speak out, isn't it? Well, this is a so-called uh, failure to act. If you fail to act, then you may be uh, liable to prosecution. But there is a duty, if you, in other constellations, family, etc., if you guarantee, if you are ob obligated to act, and obviously a doctor has, because due to their uh, position in society and their uh, medical training, um, but it, I think it would be have to be decided on a case-by-case -case, uh, uh, basis, but you cannot... Well, I can't do that either because it's such a huge extent and so many people who would be affected, it's very difficult to imagine this, but uh, I can't think of the files this uh, that would cover that. It would be too big, actually. That's the point. It's so huge, and many probably feel reluctant to talk about this because it's such an incredible dimension that it has uh, uh, achieved in such a uh, short time, and you don't want to uh, get on the wrong tracks, and uh, we, we don't want to start a, 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 a competition. But it is a fact that people die, and they die because they are prompted by other people either uh, through uh, uh, mis being misled or being forced. And there are 
responsibilities, and you can discuss that on the part of the doctors if the injections were uh, applied. I mean, for me, uh, I want to look at the uh, general level. We, we need to. Yes, and here the question is if a prosecutor knows about a crime and something like that's going on, they have to take action on their own behalf, isn't it? Uh, thank you very much for the question, because that at the moment is uh, the, 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 the crux uh, when it comes to the, um, the... Nothing is happening at the moment. But actually, and I know that from not just uh, theoretically, but also from my professional experience, because I was a state uh, prosecutor for one and a half years, the threshold is very low. Um, there is an initial suspicion, uh, paragraph 160, 152, uh, an initial suspicion uh, is sufficient. And if the state prosecutor, uh, through uh, notification through the police or even from a newspaper article, there is information present that, that, that uh, that could give rise to the suspicion that uh, a criminal act could have been uh, performed, then the state prosecutor uh, has to uh, uh, take steps. They are legally required to do that, and if they don't, even though it's obvious that they should become active, then then it could be um, a failure to prosecute, and in my uh, view, the responsibility justice. We, 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 we know that in Germany, state prosecutors, if the justice ministry well, we, says we have this case, uh, the that they should not uh, prosecute, or uh, then they mustn't. And it still seems to work like that. However, if a minister does that, then um, he would be responsible. He would be liable for everything that happens. And my question is, could is there a possibility? Uh, is there a possibility to 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 identify or to uh, find out about those directives uh, to state prosecutors? I mean, the freedom of information request should be able to. Um, that would be an important argument. Yes, that's an important point. I didn't think of that actually. To be uh, frank. Uh, the Freedom of Information Act directs the executive, and this should be possible, basically, because there's some confidentiality and classified um, exclusions. Uh, that's probably going to happen, but that should be tried. It's a good idea. Maybe I didn't think of this. Well, maybe I wasn't creative enough. Um, the point is that my expectation from my experience as a lawyer and as a prosecutor is that this is Article 146.47 where this is stated and I do suspect that this is not being applied in all cases. Either there is a kind of global instruction on the Ministry of um, legal things um, in all areas. No, n nothing happens anywhere, be it masks, be it injections. I had masks um, lawsuits uh, right up to the Supreme Federal Court and um, 
they tried to get out with uh, nuisance arguments. And the point is that uh, none of the attorneys say, I have got the instruction not to do so. They pretend to uh, follow the, pro the lawsuit and then they try to find some um, negotiations or some uh, arguments to negate that initial suspicion. So for me, I think this is obedience simply from the prosecutors because they have nothing to win, actually. So if you think that all the way down the line, that uh, can be said about judges as well. The If they follow the so-called um, resistance narrative, they run up the walls in the legal system and nobody would do that voluntarily. It's very uh, encouraging that uh, there is an organization of critical state prosecutors and uh, uh, judges. And I've read uh, text uh, is uh, published by them. And uh, there are some clever uh, people. Uh, what do you say about the resistance within the justice, uh, the legal uh, profession? Uh, do you think there are people who feel that they may have to be a change in the future? Well, that's going to be the case, definitely, as a legal uh, person could say he was a legal person and of uh, not so good common sense. So that may mean that they will fall for the narrative more easily than the rest of the population. But surely there are many who have a concrete suspicion of things going wrong. I'm a bit skeptic here from my own experience, which is only two years, admittedly, in Saarland, maybe that is not representative, but my impression, or let me start it the other way around. As a student of law, you get told that the, the legal system is the biggest thing, the best uh, and the highest discipline in the whole of the country, even above medicine. So these are the white knights that fight for the law. That is what the students are told. And my experience is exactly the opposite, that it's a big number of uh, turncoats. And I have to ask, where's, uh, where's the top? If if uh, if if something uh, is above you, you know, then the question is where is above? Yes, um, but that is the kind of the self-understanding of the people. I think everybody who studied law learns this. Um, Viviana will be able to confirm. We are taught from first semester on that we are the the queen, the royal discipline, the prime discipline. I have a. Uh, professor who uh, told his students that they are the elite of the German people and they have to be act. And that was a constitutional judge who said this. Well, this guy wasn't one of the exceptions. However, to put it in a nutshell, I would say due to the turn code mentality we don't have much to expect. So people are uh, kind of broken in their study course. Um, and if they get into that upper edges, they are under pressure at all times. And as far as Krista is concerned, one is happy about any resistance, any voice of resistance, even if it comes, especially if it comes from the system. But I am quite a bit of ambivalent here. There's a kind of um, spokesperson 
from this group um, who gave interviews. And what they say is, well, the legal, the, the rule of law still works and uh, it's okay. But I have to say, if people are uh, poisoned, uh, then and nobody takes action, I think this is no rule of law at all. So without really getting too close, it's a kind of uh, controlled opposition and um, it's kind of pretending that there is resistance in the system which is allowed so it's kind of wash me but don't make me wet and uh, you can see it everywhere it. Uh, amongst the medical profession as well there is resistance there but it's uh, secretive many people say yes it's true but uh, you know when you're a civil servant or you plan a career and have a family uh, those are the things you know that when you uh, when you are a critical voice within the judiciary, the same as uh, happens in big hospitals, then you are kicked out. Then you are um, you know put on paid holiday, and then uh, that your career is over. And uh, then perhaps it also puts your uh, pension at risk. So. Um, you you give up that career and that is a huge step to take and uh, that many don't want to take and uh, I can understand it really well but what is the alternative well the problem is that the decision for the individual is understandable that uh, you have to get food for your children, how you have to you pay your rent and things like this and somehow get through the system. And maybe you rule something where you start, stop something that you could uh, rule in the sense of the new thinking. But the difficulty or the sad thing about this is, is if all of them would said or 60 percent or a considerable number 20 percent is enough or 20 percent say we don't go along we don't think this is right the others will be so put under so much pressure this would not be able to hold up and that because everybody takes that individually wrong decision this doesn't come out and those who are brave to stick to the right are beaten up and the others who would say something get afraid as well it is very useful and important because you need a point where people can come together to say uh, together you know that's it we, we we it must stop and the organizing and to do it at the same time that not individual people are uh, put at risk but that there are too many that it's similar to the uh, on the on the public transport system uh, i always thought how many are there who don't wear a mask and if there are 10 to 15 percent do not wear a mask then the conductor has no chance yeah because he doesn't know who to address first before the next stop and uh, the same happen would happen if 10 percent or say 15 percent or 20 percent of the public prosecutors would suddenly say no i refuse to go along with this i want to work as i used to do uh, before and I think a similar development, you know, you need to reach a critical threshold to be able to affect a change. Yes, maybe I can add here. My assessment is that what we see in the legal system is not due to Corona. It's a logical consequence of the work relation simply because 
It is uh, non-technically speaking by the opportunity principle. They want to close those lawsuits with as little noise as possible. That's it. Due to the workload simply, which the staff are under, just as to give you some figures, I had 150 lawsuits, new lawsuits per month. So this is the quantity I had to complete. And if you don't do that quickly, you simply drowned in your work. My colleague said, uh, just uh, take the file once and not again. And uh, so that is an area that Corona came in, which will really fell on fruitful ground. Because there's now the, the ambition to really look into the matter of fact. Uh, just uh, saying it's very grossly now. Um, if you look at murder or something like this, then um, that is something that one tries to look at in this in more detail because the press follows up on this. But in my experience, the work criteria in the court is get it overdone quickly with as little risk as possible to. Um, run into trouble, be that on the media or your seniors or what the next level. So it wasn't good before either. Uh, anybody who worked in justice before um, would uh, see that, confirm that. And this is why I'm a bit irritated about the people working in the legal system who would said this, who say it was good before and now uh, Corona corrupted it all and they couldn't react. That's not possible. Now, that's not true. That's the life lie of the legal system that's as such. That's a very uh, important point. It's similar in medicine that uh, you see that uh, doctors are corrupt, corrupt when they give uh, vaccinations uh, because they get so, so much money. I mean, they used to prescribe medications that they didn't know the new ones because they got money for it. You know, it is uh, those so-called observational studies. Uh, that, that's how a majority of drugs were uh, launched on the market. Many doctors have always been corrupt, not all of them, but many. And there was uh, uh, resistance then from uh, patients, etc. And there is uh, uh, quite a number of uh, doctors who refuse to do that. But the companies uh, always, uh, uh, you know, wanted them to, to to join in. And this now comes up because of the crisis that we have. Uh, there is an institutional corruption. It uh, started, it was tolerated, it was even among scientists at university. It was like that, that the professors, they were uh, asked by the ministry ministries to uh, obtain money from industry for research. And uh, the uh, ministries, you know, devised rules so that um, so that uh, they could obtain funds without becoming unfaithful. Well, I can talk about that from my own short academic career. I had a um, professorship in Frankfurt, which is called uh, University of Applied Science now. So if you don't get the right science, uh, uh, status, you call yourself university in Germany nowadays. And well, the idea of these high schools, which um, came about in the 70s, as far as I know, for a, a non um, a high level uh, part of the population, they came from this uh, 
milieu at the time, they were very democratic in the beginning. They were called themselves democratic um, high schools. Uh, now they are entrepreneurs. They are companies, really, and this um, donation shows what wind they're selling under. And maybe it's an illusion to come back with these topics on the last years. And I, I applied for a number of professorships. And the subscription always said um, the professor is required to acquire third-party money. Uh, and that means you have to be corrupted to do that. There was a big scandal, uh, the Hartwell scandal, and there was a judgment, I think, uh, of the Federal Administrative Court, wasn't it? No, the I, I'm not sure uh, who uh, passed the judgment. And four criteria were uh, 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 d described how sponsorship money should be uh, used. It should be transparent, it should be separate. The, the funds, there shouldn't be secondary effects, that the professors should not be uh, in, enticed to do something that they would otherwise not do. And this is obviously not possible. And in practice, uh, this is no longer observed. At the time, it was there was a, a legal case and, and people were prosecuted. Uh, but uh, nowadays, uh, you know, it's uh, it's become standard practice, hasn't it? Yes, I think that applies to all areas that in very brief time, I think it was systematically created long time ago, but now through Corona, all red lines have dropped. You don't need to justify, um, you simply do things and maybe that could close the loop to the beginning of the talk. If you look at this in a sober way, a society which is, I don't know if built up is the right word, but which stands on the basis of fraud, of lies, of personal uh, benefit can't work. It has to fail short or long. And I don't think a society can't work that way. And the question is only how that society will collapse. Will that be smooth and have a turnaround or whether there will be a big crash? For me, this is the most important uh, question of all. How can we uh, manage the transition from the very corrupt system that we are all living in and that we've all got used to more and more to a system where there is a communal spirit again, where uh, it's our thing. We organize it as human beings to help each other, um, to uh, help each other to make contributions, to make sure that they, the money is used so that where, where you can rely on each other when you do, when you have a common goal. How do we organize it in such a way to prevent someone with a lot of money to uh, to buy their way into it? You know, I think at the uh, in the past it became fashionable. I think in the 90s it started already with the so-called public-private partnerships. Where, uh, where, where we were told that it's very important uh, that uh, public service works closely with industry. It was, um, there was an enquete commission in, in, uh, in parliament. I, I thought at the, at the time, I couldn't understand the euphoria about it. I, found, I thought it was very problematic because I think the state has the 
has the taxes and uh, the health insurance companies have the contributions, all those contributions you have to make when you live in uh, Germany. And the state should be responsible for what happens with the money and that they give orders to build streets or to, to employ people. Obviously, you know, they, they, they can't, it can't all be performed by civil servants, but they have to be have budgetary uh, responsibility and they're responsible for the management and they have to be questioned as to whether they've used the money properly. And if we now see that the health data are managed by Avato in such a way, the Bertelsmann subsidiary, that nobody from the ministry understands what happens with the, with the health data. They have, no longer have the capacity. They've made a contract with the company, and there are people there who do something with the data or the, uh, you know, the sensitive health data. They're traded. They're very valuable. There's a whole industry. And the lives uh, of that and our well our uh, government you know uh, forces uh, people to uh, divulge this data when they want health assurance and then the people from the ministry who should uh, uh, check that it's not uh, misused no longer do that and uh, and then those uh, people, you know, the specialists from industry uh, go and have jobs in the ministry and then return to the industry. I think the, the knowledge and the, and the, the in, in, in has been given up. Uh, they have relied on the industry. It's like at universities. There is nobody there any longer who is able to say what would 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 have to be done what 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 research would benefit society on the whole the industry comes and say if you do that you'll get money for that or there, there are some people who invent something and the industry says we can use that but you have to change it a little bit so we even though it's our resources we no longer it's public resources public well the sale of the government really of the state it's like a dam which broke and especially as the health data is concerned i can remember that 12 years ago the 14 years ago there was discussion about that electronic health card, whether that would be admittable uh, or not. And the media developed high pressure against this. That loses very difficult with respect to data protection. And that border has been passed long, long ago. And we didn't even note that it did. And I don't want to open this discussion up too far, but in the context of the resistance, there's lots of discussion going on whether this is a new form of socialism which is introduced here, which is complete nonsense in my eyes. And uh, the terms are confused here, communism, socialism, and uh, it's a state monopoly, a monopole capitalism which is going on here. You can uh, leave out the state. Yes, actually, it's Manchester capitalism with the facade of a government-ruled uh, system. The best name is feudal capitalism. I think that is uh, closest to it. Yes, with new feudal lords. Uh, that's what you could call it, which are the 
bosses of the big enterprises. And uh, if you state that situation, that this is the situation we're in, and that this can't take a good end, then that is worth something if you can react in a certain way. And this is why I always um, stumble upon the reduced criticism, criticism um, not clearly voiced. I think it's good if there is associations like Krista and things, pe joining people that can do more together, but it's always uh, opening the pressure valve a bit, so you discuss this a bit and you load it out. There's new political uh, groups, uh, not the bases, but uh, new left and other what wings and who meet once a week and uh, share their views and that's it. And they stay in their and bubble. they have the big risk that always when the, you set up a resistant movement that 10% uh, are employed by the by MI6 uh, and uh, observe the whole thing and uh, make the whole thing fail. And if you uh, uh, open your mouth in an organization like that, then it's obviously it will it will go to the uh, institutions. The, um, yeah, the infiltration is imminent to the system. And um, I voiced this quite early on, and I didn't make friends with that, but you, Dr. Vodak, are a former member of the SPD party. I think this is a part of the problem, this infiltration. I used to be a social democrat, but I left them. Uh, I left it in 2020. I joined the bases, then withdrew from there as well, because I saw it was difficult. As you say, I'm looking for people, searching for people who get together to 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 uh, to get rid of the party, so that we only have direct uh, uh, candidates uh, for parliament. That the that the parties no longer have influence, and that uh, in the uh, re regions they uh, put up. Uh, people that are voted for and then can be replaced by directly voted candidates. And the whole campaign, the whole uh, campaign for uh, parliamentary elections, I think what's important, people should see who represents them. Nobody knows their elected representatives any longer. It's 30% or 40% who know uh, of people who know uh, who represents them in uh, uh, in Parliament. I think it needs fundamental reform, and I hope that uh, politicians will join and should, uh, you know, be selected as independent candidates. Uh, so that, and and we need to change the we need to change the electoral law as well. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, theoretically, you know that better yes. than I do. Well, the basic law anchors the institution of the parliament and the um, council. I am a more consistent here, maybe, or more radical, as ever you'd like to call it. I think, and in the German history, there was a process in the Weimar Republic, for example, with the councils at the time that you could set this up completely different. And there's libraries that uh, um, are filled with uh, alternative democratic models, but nobody is interested in that. 
so maybe it's a question of the details. However, I think the direct political participation would be should be the core of the system and not the representative democracy, which is not representative at all, as we note now. And how to do that is rather uh, maybe trial and error that you find out. But the uh, in the in dimensions, the question is how to get there. That was my initial question. We can see that the state in its system has failed. And if you look at this in detail, there should be any doubt about that. But we are not the majority. If we uh, look at this, there's enough people who see this in a different way or who don't care simply. And it's uh, quite difficult as a minority to be 20% saying that we set up a new state. Well, maybe we could, but I don't think so. And then the question is how, how to do that and how to approach we that. We can't do it, but if you listen to people in the street and ask them how many are in favor of only uh, having direct candidates for parliament, then you have 70%. Well, that may be true, but uh, in addition, the argument is that uh, the so-called of um, people who want the representative democracy say that the people are not interested enough or not uh, well educated enough. I don't want to negate that this is true, but as soon as people have an opportunity to participate and if they see that the, what they do has an effect, they can uh, run for office themselves. This is something that will be rather closer to the council's model and uh, be an active person, then automatically they'll be more interested. But if you just uh, tick a box every four years, that's not very interesting to do. We need a long time to discuss it, and the question of subsidiarity uh, comes up. Uh, there are many things uh, that, uh, you know, the size of the system, the complexity, if you want uh, to give people a voice, um, you, you, you can't establish a council for uh, Germany, I think. We won't manage that. That's difficult to ensure communication. It would be necessary, but in, on, at a communal level, in uh, city districts, you don't need parties. It will work uh, uh, fine. And at the next level, well, we'll see. Perhaps there is a, a, a twin track, a direct ele elected representatives, and uh, that they're part of the uh, organizational structures immediately below, so that the district uh, elective representative, if they uh, that, that they have a certain function at the regional levels and that they are questioned, you know, there are many possibilities that could be discussed. I think to start this discussion is very important and to think, you know, what happens in other countries? How do they do it? I've heard that that in, in Tunisia, uh, the president uh, has got rid of the parties. Uh, uh, they only have uh, direct candidates. They do that to uh, increase his power base. And at the same time, he had cut down on the uh, uh, responsibilities uh, and the power of parliament. And, uh, you know, there are other problems that uh, we could discuss in this uh, context. I think Tunisia is a good example. Um, I am a non-voter. I have to say that uh, I did vote uh, the Greens for a while. I have to 
admit now, but uh, I think uh, the party system is a part of the problem and part of, not part of the solution. And if you want to take the system off the ground, I think it's easy not simply not to uh, vote. And I think it's a false trick of the representative democracy saying that one should at least vote for some small parties to uh, melt down the column, but uh, you legitimate the system. You support this. And Tunisia is a good example because, uh, as far as I know, the participation was at 5% or 2.5%, and the, it's clear it is out. It's not working anymore. It doesn't work like that, no. And, and people start to think about it, the president, whatever motivation drives him, what could be an alternative? But as long as 80% or 60% or go to vote and vote what they voted before, uh, maybe change bound a bit uh, in the parties, it's going to carry on. The system is going to be supported. And it would be easy just to rather have a piece of cake and a cup of coffee rather than to go to the election. Well, because you can still find people within the parties that uh, would uh, be willing to discuss this. That's something. Uh, wouldn't be what I assume, but um, I'm not too much into that. But uh, sounds sounds good, Dr. Vogodak, and I think it's important, and uh, maybe that is what we take from feedback here that we get from the committee and other discussions, that many people say, okay, four or five uh, hours of talk and nothing happens. And that is a kind of uh, frustration that comes up, quite understandably. And, uh, well, some people, it's not information only, of course, you can't get this out of the, uh, pluck it from the air, but you have to think about it before and uh, share your ideas. But for me, that's the crucial point. And now you can develop lots of different models, theoretically, on what this could look like later on. But the question is, uh, theoretically, how would you implement it? If you start on a municipal level, I, should, I would say it needs to be grassroots level. If you install something there, we still have the old system in parallel, which uh, at a certain level will uh, lead to conflicts. That's a contradiction. If you install it, who should install it? It only is only possible if it's done by self-organized groups of people. Yes, yeah, quite uh, we, right. Those who say we do it differently. It may well be that it happens in one federal state. I'm from Schleswig-Holstein, and we uh, say we we do it differently. We uh, how much. Uh, tax uh, have uh, Schleswig-Holstein raised and give us a budget and we keep out of it and as much as possible we do ourselves and we ha no longer allow others to tell us what to do as a way of protest. Uh, if there is a, someone who is a minister president of uh, in Zara Wagenknecht in Saarland and says I do everything different now and uh, uh, Saarland is between France and Germany. It doesn't have to be separatist. We can we can say, you know, we, we, we belong to Germany, but we do it differently. We are a federal state and the basic law, we make, we fully exploit the basic law uh, to, and, 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 and promote it uh, heavily. And I think those examples will, um, you know, bring other people to be enthusiastic about it and perhaps others who may have different ideas who, that are also good 
I, I think there will be no one person who knows how it should be done, but that people think and that they start thinking about it is worth a lot already. Well, installing it is the wrong word, of course. Initiate should have been the right word for me to use, and things are starting to grow. Um, I'm not very familiar with the details, but maybe I'm a bit uh, ratio-driven to see how is it uh, legalized and uh, when will somebody intervene. But we should start. We should start and think and look at the resistance, resistance when it comes. So there are things like Catalonia, for example, who wanted to separate. That's a different dimension altogether. The highly paid uh, uh, lawyers in uh, big companies specialize in finding uh, legal gaps, and uh, they, they, they search internationally like water to find the best way. If you think like them and uh, do that in the public interest, then yeah, well, our arguing is a possible way, but then the other side will, of course, uh, jeopardize it, uh, questioning the system. But in the end, we have no alternative other than trying to initiate something new. I think it's about direct democracy and uh, contribution and sharing. I find that, for example, the Basis Party, uh, the approach is the approach is that uh, they favor direct democracy and uh, bringing political initiatives and movements together. This is what uh, the basis was founded on, that there is something wrong with the system, that uh, it no longer works, all those institutions no longer work, and in the political sphere as well. And I think the approach that uh, you want direct democracy and to co, uh, you know, like they do in Switzerland, a white book, etc. Certain topics that need to be uh, where decisions are made, and that these candidates, the, uh, that they can be, that they can lose their mandate, and that they should understand themselves as speakers of the community that voted for them, and that they can be recalled, you know, like uh, 40 products. And if uh, they do not uh, uh, communicate if what the, what, the, what the population wants, I think that is the right way. The, the thing is, though, that at the moment we have huge um, forces in the, within the system that, uh, that want to, that are defending the status quo because they know that uh, we, we see that in other uh, uh, spheres that they are working on amnesty laws and and uh, because they don't want to accept responsibility but i think all these alternative media are important as well to address the topics uh, and make people understand and i think there will be then pressure from below working in in this direction i think it's important that there are possibilities for people to come together to network in commune x and say you know i have this 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 i want this change but i don't know who what what other people do to find to 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 it with you know and I think things like Krista are very important as a first step. 
And uh, once you have raised the awareness uh, amongst people, um, you 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 know how how can it be done in such a way that it that it no longer can be stopped by intrigues or by you know outside. The basis is great. It's a good party where I'm even elected to be uh, the president or the chair if I say I want to make parties obsolete. So there is a readiness to discuss all this. And this is a good thing. It's something new. You don't know. They don't know how it doesn't work. People experiment. I think that is exactly what we need. It's important that people are interested in their issue, in their politics. It's their life. And they have to get together and think about how to do these things best. And even uh, curiously ask, how do you do it? Not just uh, want to convince others of their idea, but be open for other ideas as well. I think for the basis, that would be very good to look at international models, for example, as role models. The other things that you, I have a couple of questions from the audience here. Uh, on, at Corona-Ausschuss-F135, you can ask questions if you want uh, on the discussion. And we have three questions here, but I'd like to hear from you whether we have come full circle. Yes, one brief comment on, on the party, the basis. Um, I didn't look at this because I'm very skeptical towards parties. Sounds good. Anyway, if, if even if we're just pool, a pool for people who are of the same opinion, and if we could start anything beyond that, even better. For me, it was kind of like in the uh, communist parties, the communists wanted to uh, get rid of the states, and to do that, they start a party. But if you start a party for that reason, maybe that's not the uh, contradiction which I see in it. And to close the circle, can I interrupt here? We don't want to get rid of it. We want it to become superfluous. They, they can be parties and stay parties, but they shouldn't put up the candidates. They shouldn't have an effect on the candidates that run for office. They could have political opinion, develop the political opinion, and so on. But I think the candidates who run for office in a certain municipality have to be super party individuals and the party shouldn't be allowed to propose people people can be helped with the part by the parties but they should uh, apply by themselves and i think it's very bad if the chairs of the parties and the party meetings decides on who gets uh, what place on the list there's automatically this obedience that you uh, uh, always do what the chair wants you to do and that is disgusting uh, very briefly uh, you asked earlier whether it could be possible by changing electoral law, which is possible because the parties more or less are guaranteed in the basic law, Article 21, but uh, it says there only that they should w w contribute to uh, forming the will of the population, so to speak. Uh, they can still do that, but uh, the other uh, you know, it would even be compatible with basic law. And to come full circle, we uh, talked about, uh, um, I, I, I talked about murder and uh, manslaughter at the beginning. And um, 
that the population uh, should should be made clear uh, to the population what situation we're in and the situation is that uh, people are dying and even if it was only one but the number i think is substantial and there are people have died and will die because they have been vaccinated and this is manslaughter in a legal sense and it's ultimately murder as well uh, if uh, greed or other motives are, are involved and if and it's murder because the lack of knowledge of people is exploited. So we have murderers in the state at a political level or at a, at a at a industrial level that are responsible for the death of people. And it's not about hate speech. Um, and and to make a point, to make a final point, ultimately, uh, it's a crime against uh, humanity. Uh, I uh, mention it uh, in in the Roman statutes of the uh, we have a crime against humanity. I uh, looked it up at home. Um, in the sense of international law, it is when there is a systemic or extensive attack by the state against their own uh, civil population. And I think we can say that this is happening. And if people die as a result or suffer uh, psychological or physical uh, injury, so we have uh, a crime against humanity. So it's uh, a case both for the International uh, Court of Justice as well as the German legal system and for those people who uh, feel that they're still on the safe side. Um, international law uh, cannot just be prosecuted within uh, in, 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 in front of the uh, International Court of Justice, but other states who gain knowledge of this fact and see that the national legal system uh, doesn't take action, then uh, a government, for example, in Rwanda, if they uh, have uh, um, signed the, uh, they could initiate a prosecution uh, uh, of... That's why they're all going to the US, because the US didn't sign German politicians. There are enough uh, signatories to the uh, agreement, perhaps an African state, and if uh, people uh, uh, enter such a country, they would be arrested. But obviously, that's a utopic. Well, in that context, we have a question. Is it possible that a judge who ruled a political uh, sentence, is that possible to make him liable well, afterwards? Uh, the, the question is, what is political judgment? Well, possibly what we've just seen here. There are three points. I mentioned uh, one of them already. If it's about uh, 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 criminal uh, activity that are not prosecuted by uh, the uh, prosecutor or the court, then there is... Uh, 
It is a very narrow definition, uh, so uh, few people have been uh, prosecuted for uh, failing to act. Um, and I think it's, but, but that would be a possible point. Although the quest, the problem is that eventually, uh, I think for, um, I don't know how long, uh, it's five years after the act is committed. Um, it, uh, it's a limitation period, uh, but on the other hand, five years is a long time. Many things can happen. But that's the advantage of these paragraphs. Uh, crimes against humanity have no uh, statute of limitation. So even 30 years later, someone can be prosecuted. And that's uh, ridiculous that a 97-year-old was uh, uh, sentenced by uh, the regional court of Itzehu, a secretary who worked at uh, a concentration camp, was, uh, was, was sentenced at uh, 97 years old. And, and uh, the question was asked by, you know, why, why weren't they prosecuted before, earlier? And we have crimes against humanity here, and at the same time, a 97-year-old is uh, uh, prosecuted for, for crimes that were committed many years ago. But uh, the question is, uh, to answer it, yes, you can... You, you, you can you can do something about these people by... I would charge them, I would issue proceedings. If you hear about it, doesn't cost you anything. That's the advantage. Uh, you go to the police or to the uh, state uh, prosecutor and, uh, and dictate it to them at no cost. And I would... And I would tell them uh, that if they do not per prosecute, uh, they may um, be liable to um, criminal charges because they will. The legal profession are. You know, turncoats, and perhaps in this way you can pressure them to to do something. Uh, you know, not by appealing to their consciousness, but by. Uh, I have a question here, which I think we answered already. It's difficult to get out of this difficult situation if we can't depend on the justice. So we have to wait for the wind to change, really. In, in the system, or do you want to comment that? I recently read a nice comment on, 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 on about Krista, where one of the readers said uh, that it was so so woolly, so vague, and the commentator said the right is too uh, important to leave it to the legal profession, and I can only agree to that, you know, in the uh, uh, present situation. We can't expect anything and from that. A final question is, what uh, chance does Article 20, I, Section 2, 
um, will give us if we can't have any other options whether normative power of the facts count. It's a bit contradictory, that article, because if it comes to that, that uh, state institutions, and, and there is a, a, a duty to resist, then you don't need the article any longer, because it was a concession at the time that it was included in the basic law after the, uh, after the uh, I think it was part uh, of the emergency uh, powers uh, uh, bill. I think my recommendation would be it is important to create facts. If right from the beginning we had refused to uh, wear masks, then, as you said, Dr. Vodak, we would never have come to this. If 10 people go to the supermarket without masks, they wouldn't have been refused. Well, we see how Nordrhein-Westfalia will think they are going to be obliged for another year to have a mask in the public transport. They should feel quite stupid. I'm not following it. Yeah, I read this today. I hope it was true. Um, apparently, North Rhine-Westphalia will make its people happy to wear a mask in uh, the public transport, uh, making them the laughter of the rest of the country. This is kind of like carnival, isn't it? But we had the others as well. One uh, federal state came first, I think Bavaria or Saxony, and then the others followed. I think it will be the same, but it applies to all the other areas as well. My preference would be you should no longer vote, you should no, not wear uh, uh, masks, you should no, uh, no longer pay uh, TV uh, uh, subscriptions. Dr. Wodak mentioned it in, 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 in the digitization question. I must say, I have to say, it's very, very ambivalent uh, what we're doing here. I only pay cash unless I can't find an ATM. Um, and it applies to other areas as well. For example, the legal profession, as we know, we will be forced to use digitization, di digital. I, I cannot send it, I, I have to send it digitally. Otherwise, it is t it is invalid, and I find it strange that no nobody refuses to. Uh, and and the same is for tax, tax. Uh, uh, we, we, you're forced to do it digit digitally. It's you, you you go to the weakest part in the link. You know, uh, self-employed people are always under pressure when it comes to the tax office. You start by slowly implementing something, and then you continue uh, uh, from there. And you have to say, I refuse to, 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 I have to refuse to do it. Because I refuse. Well, if you look at the European Data Protection Act, there was a great confusion, a great uh, fuss about this and it would be unthinkable what's going on now the data that are uh, used for non-defined purposes and they say that uh, they need the health data because they want to make uh, scientific progress and that uh, that simply makes me laugh they want to use that for research what do they do they do market research 
Market research is also some kind of research, isn't it? I mean, it's clear it's a very perverse and uh, the 2018 uh, data protection regulation uh, was so hyped and suddenly, um, I'm not an expert, but two years uh, later it was obsolete. Uh, and that's ridiculous. But what I want to say is that ultimately it's about all areas you have to resist, even if it's uh, painful. I mean, we have the case of the masks. For example, I don't have a certification for uh, that, that uh, allowed me not to wear masks. I mean, if people hadn't worn masks, then you, the, 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 the doctors who uh, uh, issued certificates uh, would, wouldn't be in trouble now. I think that the fairest way is uh, for everyone as a community to, to do it. Dr. Young is waiting exactly for this topic. Would you mention it? Yeah, thank you. I can comment on my uh, lawsuit from Frankfurt am Main. And um, that's a court that usually does not much about Corona lawsuits. And this is about uh, wrong saying. And I would make this public because the Attorney General uh, don't know that uh, this is only possible if this is made public. So um, it was an internal thing which is going on here. And um, in the context of this 2 and 3G uh, ruling, I had some clients who didn't want to get injected and were excluded from their courses. And I clearly stated my opinion uh, against the president, which is Professor Enrico Schley and Professor Dr. Kraft, who is the chair of the University uh, Clinicum in Frankfurt, GMH Limited or whatever that is. And I addressed them quite strongly because if you force the people to uh, get vaccinated, you need to find clear words. And so now I have a uh, lawsuit for defamation because I said they were not qualified to do this kind of thing and uh, said that that either know that they are not working on a scientific evidence base or that they are simply not qualified to direct their institutes. And um, this was because I didn't uh, quote, uh, I, I don't want to quote this now, it was simply because I didn't state this professionally and I defamed the two people. It was nonsense until now because it was um, not known and now I'm supporting the attorney that there is an initial suspicion but it is completely out of the track here and here I want to name mentions. This is uh, Mrs. Shora. I can only um, recommend if you take your work seriously, look at the session and think about some lawsuits that you should uh, do in your 
Institute for manslaughter, murder, and things like that, rather than going up against me with these ridiculous things, which are not worth the paper that they are printed on. And I'm not just doing this here to uh, provoke people. I'm saying this is what we're all about. Um, we shouldn't run away against uh, this, um, which is um, behaving in a ridiculous way here for at least two and a half years. But we have to find clear words here and uh, state our position. This is the kind of thing as a negative example. And if we want to move on now, really contradict, that's what I recommend. I would um, also file a lawsuit against these people, the chair of the university and um, the prosecutor, if they really are against the argument. I help them now by making this public, but I will play this at all levels, and that applies for all uh, lawsuits that I work in. Clear and words. I'm looking forward to uh, what will happen in the future. Well, I can imagine what's going to happen, but maybe briefly, if I can add, um, this is uh, for all students of the university, it's 50,000 students. So if there are any students who had got the injections due to that uh, um, uh, uh, publication, um, they can join it. I don't want to have new clients. I have lots of clients, but I want to network people um, because I can imagine that the students who are not the strongest uh, link in the chain were desperate to a certain level, which is something that I noted when I was a professor. I think we can perhaps uh, post it on the Telegram channel. Or could you uh, show it on screen now? Well, that applies to all yes, we're very much really. under pressure. Now uh, we have with us. Thank you very much for this uh, very uh, thoughtful uh, and valuable contributions to this discussion, and uh, the uh, and also with regard to the proceedings against you. Now you are staying uh, with us, and uh, perhaps also uh, add something later. But now we have uh, Frau Dr. Monica Young. She is a general practitioner. And she is also affected by a by a legal uh, proceedings against her, uh, Dr. Young. Hello, thank you for the invitation. First of all, is the sound okay? Uh, there is a bit of an echo, but I can still hear you. Okay, I'll try to get close to the mic. The sound check was okay. I was told. Okay, so. I am in Weiheim in the court in a proceeding which was a bit single-sided in the press. So there was a prejudice um, for 4,374 allegedly false mask attestations. And if I look at this, uh, what I've just heard, um, as our legal system works, I uh, noted and I recognized a lot of the things. The thing is that there is a quite an intensity to um, things uh, that were fully senseless, um, wearing the masks uh, is the study situation is quite clear on one side and that's what the 
uh, prosecutors in Mannheim look at now, not only with me, uh, in my case, I had two hearings, and the, it's got the, the ruling is going to be on the 2nd of January, and the, um, the, um, the, uh, the prosecution asked for three and a half years and uh, three years of uh, work ban, uh, including my um, employee. And she is going to be suspended for a year and sentenced to a fine. And now the prosecution is really working on things that are long time, long since overhauled and uh, uh, old, outdated. They again address all the patients. So there's innumerable amounts of lawsuits across the whole of Germany and also here and many, many uh, prosecutions for um, patients simply by changing the uh, applicable law, which is simply twisted and turned and used for wrong purposes. And unfortunately, I don't have the name of uh, the people, the person who spoke before me, I, because I came later. Um, the time of politeness is over. I can only agree this. We have to call the things as they are. And uh, this turned out in the next in the last two years with the masks and uh, all the proceedings that we saw. Um, thank you, Mr. Jungblut is the name. Um, it, we see nothing happens, things get worse, and no, uh, in most areas we have no mask mandates, but the prosecution doesn't care about this, and uh, uh, the twisting of the law uh, took on, on a completely wrong sense. It's just a lust in prosecution, really, that we can see here, where they could take care of more important things, and they should do so. Um, because as a society as a whole and medically, we have completely different problems by now. We don't have the problem of the masks anymore, but by now we definitely have the problem that people simply die. Um, we have adverse effects, patients are not treated, and uh, the, from the protective side of the uh, shots and the psychological issues, we have a massive need. Um, we have prostomatic uh, disturbances, all the terrorization that patients have to suffer, suffer and people who have a uh, mask certificate or can't wear the mask or didn't wear a mask are simply um, prosecuted and also now um, uh, even at the homes, the worst thing I heard was a 70-year-old patient who was um, in the seven o'clock in the morning, uh, have her home searched at uh, seven o'clock in the morning to find a certificate. Of course, she was totally shocked that she didn't find anything. She didn't know what they wanted from her. And uh, of course, this is uh, additionally traumatization and uh, fear mongering. So all the fear line is added to this and uh, 
yeah, besides all this twisting of the law, it's really time to call a spade a spade and not go along. Had we, and this is what Jungberg rightly said, if we, the people of 2020 said, said, I can't wear the mask, I'm not going to wear the mask, I refuse to do so, we wouldn't have to be here today. And um, we wouldn't have to have these lawsuits that we are having today, which are really getting to show cases now apart from not being public. Uh, in my case, for example, the public was ex um, systematically excluded uh, in the with the excuse that everybody has to be protected and there is uh, you have to have you keep your distance in the uh, in front of the court and so on in the first uh, um, hearing there was three to six uh, people allowed and the second day one more was allowed in so theoretically it was seven but that is no public and the reason for that was that the public uh, is uh, informed by the press, but the press was pre-selected. And these are the things where I really think, or my impression is this is not the rule of law as you think the rule of law would be as a normal citizen or as a person with a strong sense for the rule of law. I have a good sense of what is true and what's not true, what's right and what's wrong. And that is no publicity. And this is why I'm very thankful that you provide opportunity for a public hearing here. Yes, there are a number of doctors who are in front. Dr. Weigel, one was the first one that I noted who clearly said and addressed the topic at the time. and really said what is going on and uh, call a spade a spade. Uh, before, it was a bit of uh, um, uh, di diplomatic on how to look at the physical examination and so on. Ronnie Weigel appealed the uh, prosecutors and uh, the judges at uh, 6th of December this year, clearly stating what was said, clearly appealing uh, to drop all these mask lawsuits because they have no legal base, whatever perspective you look at them from. And uh, so um, th this is just a slap in the face. I'm imagining that we, the doctors had said, we will not issue uh, mask certificates. We simply won't issue them. And if you, but we tell you that this mask will be harmful to you. It is really harmful, it's dangerous, and particularly for your children, but we will not issue certificates. What would have happened then? That's an interesting hypothesis. This happened a little bit in the beginning, 2020. It was quite quickly the case that nearly new, no doctors issued mask certificates, and the result was, for me and the few who did so, that patients queued up and uh, that was one thing and I noted that this year from autumn on we said exactly that stand up take care for yourself you are adults you can fight for yourself fight your rights fight for your rights fight for your children's a mask certificate won't help you in that and in 2020 I rather observed that there was many people who were patients who were helpless. They were overwhelmed 
they were at their limits. They couldn't have done it at the time, at least that is what I noted, uh, to fight for their rights. Some, very, very few did so, but most of them weren't able to do so. And especially those who are in panic under the mask or who had physical um, harm and, and difficulties, they were traumatized and they couldn't do it for themselves. Is there other self-help groups of uh, people who have suffered damages uh, by wearing masks or who suffered from having to wear a mask? They could have uh, got together. Was there any 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 approach that as a doctor you, you said, you know, we we open up a self-help group to, for everyone to meet? I mean, that would be a possibility to uh, organize a new form of resistance. I have no idea. I don't know about that. But the case is that uh, by now I do see we have much more urgent problems since this uh, injection activity. And uh, it, it's easy to look at it uh, in retrospective, but when it was up to our ears and all the patients were there, they were all overwhelmed on one side. We had the general fear and panic on one side, and also we had an aspect of the mega in critical psychological pressure by uh, threats, by punishment in the media, and the people amongst each other, how people were prosecuted on the roads and everywhere. People tend to forget this, but people were kicked out the shops. It was about the basics. It was buying food stuff, buying things. It was about allowing to go where you want to go to the uh, government office and authorities and so on. And mainly uh, buying your groceries. There was a massive pressure on this, and that was very systematic and uh, directed and uh, well implemented in inverted commerce. And here I'd like to uh, add to what was just said before. In the beginning, it was not very clear. Of course, now in the last three years, nearly, we've learned extremely much. But what wasn't clear in the beginning was all these crimes against humanity on the torture aspects and this. And on the 26th of uh, 11th, uh, there was this uh, criminal court which was filed in Den Haag against crimes of uh, against humanity due to the completeness of the measures. And here in the press declaration and the text again and again, the masks are mentioned as a means of torture by combining and accumulation of individual techniques which are harmless apparently in themselves and all that was joined up together the different aspects the psychotic psychological pressure the punishment people were dependent made dependent and subjected to physical and psychological um, torture for example by forcing people and children uh, to wear masks by forcing to wear women pregnant women in delivering to wear masks and if you look at the children in the schools and you treat them and examine them how they are with masks they had to wear the masks in the overall context so um, until they had to vomit into their masks they collapsed and 
that is the physical experience, loss of control and punishment and these things that were threatened, and that makes these things crimes against humanities. Not with everyone, but it strongly depends on the inexperience. If I have a, I have a concrete uh, patient who is in front of court now, she was traumatized in the Kosovo war, her mouth was uh, closed, covered up, she was raped. For this kind of person, it is a psychoterror to having to wear a mask. And this is simply a crime against humanity, against the dignity of the people. It is incredible that this is being prosecuted as a crime, that she got an attest uh, and that I certify that she can't wear it on both sides. It's incredible that these kind of things are uh, prosecuted now. That shows where the state of law is and what state it is in. The questions that we uh, treated in a prior uh, discussion with uh, Mr. Weigels, it was about the benefit and the questionability of, of, of this uh, uh, filters. And uh, a lot of arguments were uh, brought together. We know a lot, and we know that it causes much more harm and and no no benefit. You know, a mask like that can in be used uh, to to uh, in an infectious diseases ward or in a dusty uh, environment. There's enough research on that, but very rarely did it have any tangible benefit. And I can not understand if this is so clear. Then there must be a possibility to uh, uh, by uh, by a court. You know, it's, it's an international judgment uh, that was uh, say, that said, you know, masks are not helpful, people should not be forced to wear them. Was there any judgment in any country that would be nice? I, I mean, that one person cannot wear masks is completely different from uh, saying that the harm is, um, is uh, more than the benefit, and therefore it's not indicated. I think the problem is, uh, medically speaking, there are studies, no end, that exactly state that. Correct. And they are extremely were published in large numbers. I think the problem is more that the legal system is no longer what it used to be, and uh, you asked about a legal, uh, is there a court judgment? Yes, international. Well, you'd have to look f very far afield. I think in Europe, I'm not aware of it anyway that this uh, exists in Europe, but uh, the strategy of the public uh, prosecution and the the the, the judge is that uh, that content arguments relating to the content to me are blocked uh, to me it uh, looks like a show trial she said uh, it is a legal question it's not a medical question and therefore what uh, uh, mr. Jungbrut said that the legal uh, system 
that the lawyers uh, put themselves above uh, the medical pro pro profession. And uh, that makes no sense because it's not a legal uh, question uh, whether I can wear a mask. It's a, uh, it's a matter of uh, uh, physiology. And that's how they are conducting uh, the, the trial. And uh, they, they're trying to, you know, uh, they, are, they are not looking at the content, uh, they are just uh, basing it on paragraphs and, uh, and, and trying to get a judgment as quickly as possible. They are politicians who say, this is what you have to do, this is, uh, is, is, is be beneficial, and, and you know, it's beneficial. And then there's a Robert Koch and all these, uh, um, the medical profession says it's useful. That's one uh, aspect. And on the other hand, there, there is science. Now, there are politicians in many countries. Perhaps uh, Mr. Jungblut can answer that. Are there, is there anything when, when, when the arguments were considered and the benefit was refused to exist, then it must have relevance for Europe as well. I mean, when things are proved, when medications are approved in one country, it applies uh, to other European countries as well. So we have the evidence-based decisions there as well that are made in one country uh, and then apply uh, in other countries as well. Has that ever been done in any country? Is a result? Then the result should apply in all European uh, uh, countries as well. Because the other countries, you know, put it down to a legal uh, question. The, if you think it through logically, then in Europe, one uh, court judgment should suffice to say there is no indication for masks. Well, logics and law is uh, two different pairs of shoes in this context. And maybe to answer the question, I can't completely answer it, whether there has been any rulings in the question whether the masks uh, serve any purpose or not. I wouldn't know of any, but of course, I don't know all 190 countries where this could have been ruled. The problem is, however, that uh, first of all, I can well imagine that these decisions have never been taken because nobody wants to um, take that role because it's not necessary. Even if you um, lift the bands, you could look at a different point from the from the perspective of the law. It's not uh, appropriate, or there is no legal base for it, so that you can uh, swell around the problem with the mask. And uh, <clears throat> this could be one of the reasons why this point was never addressed, because it's a question of the evidence, which need times, expertise, counter expertise, and the court has to look at this in all its wisdom and this is what uh, judges don't like to do so much and under this circumstance i think this is not possible or this has not been done otherwise if it were done in elsewhere in whatever czechia croatia or whatever it is not binding for others these are different legal systems where uh, germany would not be obliged to follow it would be different if the european court would decide this but the national legal entities are independent independent of the question that this probably doesn't exist 
So maybe <coughs> briefly to add to your uh, quote, I um, um, sorry, I, di I didn't want to, I didn't want to take your stage here. So um, this is kind of a uh, playing, playing around the corner, but that. Um, fits the picture that I know. Uh, here we have a number of points of attack. So you have an, a, um, a lawyer, of course, I don't want to kick in here from the side, but I would say attack is the best defense. Uh, the point is, or the simple question, which was discussed before, the question is whether these people are biased or not. If they think, if they believe in the narrative, they are biased. So the question if um, this is possible, and of course that is pushed on the table, but you could uh, kind of slow things down a bit. And the second point is the public. Uh, the argument that the press is there and that is public. I think that is stupid uh, to be polite. That's the second point. And the third point is, and that's most evident, if you say that the matter of fact is actually not addressed, what's the basis to take a legal decision if the facts are not looked at? And that quickly takes us to an area where the court may say this has been found elsewhere. But if the things are so briefly addressed, and we've seen that with uh, Mr. Schmitz, uh, of the federal court that the facts are simply ignored as it's reported, that is a uh, perversion of law. And um, it's part of the orderly proceedings that the facts are taken and taken into account. There may be different views of these, but uh, if this is simply neglected, that is uh, not the point. And uh, for me, quite clearly, this is the perversion of law. And uh, I would uh, simply uh, file a lawsuit. Again, they are not gods in black, although they think they may are. They have to follow the law, at least theoretically. And um, without really wanting to uh, kick in from the sideline here, um, this is what I would like to do. And uh, even if you are not uh, prosecuted, but they won't get it in any other kind of way, uh, just really uh, kicking the, the hard stone. Well, it's difficult because, because you know, I have, I, I'm not, I haven't got any legal knowledge, prior knowledge, but I'm working on it, and it's astonishing the complete ignorance of uh, facts or uh, evidence. Because the question is, is a certificate certificate uh, uh, allowed or not? Does the mask cause more harm or causes more benefit? Uh, there is. Uh, Dr. Krein uh, issued uh, an opinion in uh, on the 20th of October 2020, and we uh, use it as evidence. It says everything that you need to know about masks. Uh, looked at from all sides what you need to know, what is the state of the art, scientifically speaking. So it's not uh, it's not the case that there is no data. My impression is that just because of that, they're trying to avoid to look at data, sources, or uh, 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 content or scientific evidence. Yeah, but that's not the basic idea of it, of course. And of course, you can present this in court, but then the court is going to say this is the free 
a decision of the uh, judge, and this is not relevant, and this is how the courts uh, do it, and they um, nobody objects to that, and this is I would clearly uh, counteract this and uh, fight against this. This is simply the way that applies to Mr. Schmidt's uh, uh, lawsuit as well. I would have prosecuted him as well, um, this uh, judge as well. Of course, it's political. You can't see it any other. You call it a showcase. Um, it's the same word, uh, same same thing. This is a historical findings that in states where there are totalitarian activisms, uh, I don't want to say that they're structured that way, that the uh, law and the legal people never have worked against the state. And this is why we have this international law with the competence of the international court and the allowance of third states to uh, take action because experience has seen if that a if a state drops into totalitarian structures the legal system always goes along and the legal uh, check of balances is or check of powers is simply um, eroded what Igmar Maus said that suddenly in the light of uh, the new world order uh, the, the the new beliefs with regard to hygiene or the big uh, health risk or solidarity are used and all the other things are then ignored and i think that is that is that is is, is catastrophic that that uh, this should be prevented isn't that perversion of law as what we have seen in weimar where the judge did look at the facts and the evidence and got the experts in with respect of the indication of mask for children. That is what they've done. They did that. He did it. And then he was accused of perverting the law because he wasn't uh, supposedly wasn't the right law, the right uh, court, and he wasn't competent and so on. So that is what they use as a term in order to get that kind of sentence out of the way and they are um, very rigid in what they do and uh, that the politics there that's what i mean the politics um, are well i am all in favor of holding against it not vaguely but with all hardness it's always difficult when you're not involved to uh, to give a legal opinion on a case that you're not involved in so these are all means of the rule of law peaceful means that's what we're talking about here with regard to the court case in Weimar, we agree that it uh, had uh, was uh, should have an off-putting effect. I only know it superficially. In my opinion, what happened was that the court uh, acted courageously. Well, not courageously. I'm, I'm always uh, the, the the court did what it was supposed to do uh, as per its job description. To uh, what was uh, unhappy was that uh, the court uh, obtained uh, opinions from people where it was clear what they were thinking, and the other side. I 
actually, no. In this case, the other side didn't want to take their statement. Well, I don't know whether the <coughs> opinion was was it was it asked for the by, by the by the court. It should, to, to, to be on the safe side, but you're always uh, uh, better informed afterwards. You, you could have perhaps asked for opinions from both sides, and then uh, you wouldn't have been... Well, I don't think we should get into this into too much detail, but rather ask the judge. I think an analysis of the different studies was done. It wasn't, it weren't just uh, different opinions. Well, so I wouldn't want to comment on this without having read it. As far as the competency is concerned, that is uh, nonsense. At least it was disputed. A family court can decide this as far as I'm informed. Um, because that is quite broad in its competence. And the starting situation that the lawmaker had thought of was that it is parents uh, that uh, fail in their handling of, uh, or their educating of the children. Then the realm is opened, and it is open that the benefit of the child could be affected, and that could include the state. At least that is the dispute. And on uh, this aspect, quite surely it is not a case of perversion of law that this uh, court is competent. It's a political case, and the same ping pong goes on and on. So you can uh, talk about the, you can uh, prosecute the people from the police or the prosecutors themselves and well, so on. Well, the question on. is, uh, is it going to be successful? Because my impression is specifically uh, with regard to the court, they are, it looks to me as if they are still brainwashed or are influenced. Uh, they have, they live in a world of their own, and there is no option to look at it objectively or to look at both sides uh, as uh, should be done by a court. <laughs> so, for the last three, they, they, they decide within a world that's been de 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 defined uh, in the last three years, and everyone who is against it can only be bad, irrespective of the context. <laughs> and I think I have the impression they are, that you can, they can no longer be reached. The uh, prosecutors, prosecutor, what she said, it was either manipulative or uh, they they have a worldview I, I won't quote what he what, what she said but it was uh, a closed circle in that sense there was no world outside of that outside of this world of masks wearing and what I think is tragic is that the general the, the general persecution of everything. You know, me, all the patients, anyone they could get their hands on. And what is what, what has also not been addressed sufficiently by colleagues, neither. Um, the, the, the paragraph 178 was changed to 
to make it useful for what they're doing with it now. We have a fact, we are uh, uh, prosecuting it. 2020 it was uh, uh, clear, but there was no legal uh, case. The, it was only established in November 2021 on the 23rd of November. And what they want to prosecute is now, according to the new law, that didn't exist at the time. Um, there are several uh, facts that that are legally not congruent or le are legally not make sense. You, you took, can you state that modification of that uh, act? What was done? <clears throat> well, I, I have to read from. I re have to read it out to you because that point as well. Ronnie Weiter was the first one that emphasized it. Uh, before that, I wasn't aware of it before the court case. Uh, so in 2020, uh, the paragraph, uh, the doctors and uh, doctors who issue a certificate on the state of health on, on about a patient and issue it illegally are uh, give, given a uh, uh, jail sentence or and that applied to uh, sick certificates etc and and the paragraph doesn't fit the mask certificate certificates it's uh, neither a certification of the state of, of health it's uh, also even in a legal sense if i know as a doctor that the masks uh, cause harm and what harm they cause i cannot i cannot i cannot uh, have people get sick through wearing a mask or you know the original uh, the, the original uh, case was you had to examine people whether they are uh, should be allowed to uh, wear masks and for children it there wasn't you know it's an artificial construction that was thanks to the or in the course of or in favor of uh, the strategies uh, was was invented, which has no legal base, nor uh, scientific, nor a medical, nor a, a content uh, base, base. And then in, in November, uh, they, they said, if, if you issue an uh, in the illegal certification on the health of a person is prosecuted and given a jail sentence or uh, a fine. And, and then they, if a policeman confiscates a certificate, it is intended to be presented to an authority. You know, there's twisting uh, the, the law and it has nothing to do with what it was originally intended by it. Just, uh, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just wanted to answer that question whether it's possible that um, the old cases <clears throat> are ruled by new law, so to say. That was the initial question or the assessment. This is, of course, not possible. 
That is, um, that's the basic uh, fundamental uh, means uh, no punishment without a law. That means only after a law is in force, it can be used to uh, uh, rule people. So if until tomorrow, uh, not buying a ticket uh, and ride the train, and uh, you uh, do that today, you can't be um, punished by that tomorrow. Um, my uh, point is that uh, the um, prosecution was started um, on the old law, and then one of the courts decided that this uh, law does not match it, and then the lawmaker was active and created a new paragraph. But that was disputed whether that old uh, law applied, and now they do it in two ways. They uh, deal with the old cases in the old, and the old form and the new one and the new one. And that's, of course, a contradiction as well. If the old paragraph would have been applicable, one would have to create a new one. And that's the only situation or the only explanation that I can think of looking at this, uh, because this is absolutely, if you um, trespass this, you can forget everything that you do. Um, I can't just imagine that the cases that were relevant prior to the uh, new law are ruled by the new law. They will have to be ruled by the old law, which is disputed as well. But uh, as I said, logic is not playing a role here in these times. Well, it seems facts and logic seems to get in the way, rather. That's my, and that's rather unpleasant. But. Uh, also, apart from the court case, the whole uh, way they proceed. Let me get back to the, 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 the other aspects. I think we should um, mention all aspects. And um, it's like this. If you, there's the Wittelmann's diagram of uh, force and we, the, the masks, I find a lot in that diagram of coercion. Uh, first, uh, people are uh, limited in their freedom, and I'm thinking particularly of uh, children. They can no longer see properly. Uh, they can't get enough air. The whole focus is uh, restricted and then re reduce the vitality. There is exhaustion, fatigue, uh, mechanically speaking as well, particularly with regard to children who have no choice and for hours have to wear these masks. And then there is a threat, uh, massive threats uh, by other, from others, teachers uh, towards the children, the boss, the colleagues uh, at work. Uh, then there is a demonstration of uh, a powerful force. That's an important aspect, uh, the, the helplessness they, experience, they are experiencing. Uh, and Martin Seligman, many, many uh, years ago, researched on learned helplessness. How can you, how do you train, you uh, research with dogs, how you uh, train, how you get uh, people and animals to learn helplessness and then uh, stay within that helplessness. And that is, and the mask is uh, a big instrument, has been a big instrument in that because if you uh, uh, how if you cannot show where uh, how i breathe how my facial expression then 
the social room is more and more limited. My options are more and more limited, and my my whole world is more and more limited. And then the no no being no longer being able to recognize others, no longer being able to show your face. Uh, the legal uh, aspect is one. Uh, uh, aspect, but uh, the con the discussion the discussion of the content. What are the? Uh, uh, I mean, there are now uh, children who can no longer draw faces, who have uh, difficulty uh, in uh, speech difficulties because for a long period of time they were unable to decode and recognize faces and speech and lip movement. So there is damage done, and I think. It is crazy to now, after, with all that knowledge that we have gained and all the facts, to 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 prosecute uh, mask crimes and to call them that. Uh, there is uh, the, the the force is contradictory to the uh, uh, to, 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 to human values. I completely and, agree. And then finally, uh, on the Biedermann diagram of for coercion, the implementation of rules, it's not just about masks. Uh, they say it's only a mask. No, it's about the combination of persecution, threat of uh, being called out, being uh, kicked out, uh, the uh, you know restriction of uh, the right to go shopping and to buy food. It, it. I think it's time to to look at it and to analyze it. And I think this will not be done by the legal profession or the courts or the German courts uh, the way it looks. It will have to be performed by everyone, by ourselves. And that's why it's important to publicize it, to raise awareness, because over the last two, three years, we have been driven from one fear to the next, from one emergency situation to the to the to the next, and we and the and we are now talking. Uh, the unexpected. We have a huge problem. We have real problems, but uh, of we we come we, we we over the last three years we have been driven from one emergency and one uh, threat to the next, and there is a complete exhaustion uh, amongst uh, uh, people. And we are not entrapped by any of the loops. And this is uh, this, the, where it comes uh, full circle. You know, the mask is the only one, the only thing that helps. And Professor Wallach, um, at the mask congress uh, recently, everything ex exists. In the last three months, a, a lot was published about masks. Uh, and Professor Wallach uh, showed 
that masks, for one, it's a, a security blanket. You know, it's an anchor because they have gained the illusion or was, were given the illusion that masks protect them. So it's a means against their fear. And for the others, it is the trigger of fear. You know, I can't, I can't breathe. Empathic uh, uh, people uh, react, and when they see people wearing masks, there is stress research automatically with breathing and heartbeat. You, it, 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 it is vegetative. It's automatic. So when you see people with masks who can, uh, who, who can't breathe properly, they they are a stress factor for others. It's a medical fact, and well, it it, it is incredible. It is incredible what's being done and how, instead of uh, analyzing it, how it's being treated. I mean, the legal, the courts not just for the prosecutions because of masks, etc. But the fear uh, the, that they get, suddenly you're taking to court. And I have a patient who uh, served the state as a teacher f f all their lives. And now she's being prosecuted because of not being able to, not refusing to wear a mask because she can't wear a mask for health reasons. You know, she's been always served the state as a teacher. Now that same state, um, uh, you know, uh, prosecutes her because she, 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 she can't wear a mask. And I, I, I think it is something that is. Well, I think we have to say that the uh, state is riding a wild horse here, and many people don't want to hear about Corona anymore. I think uh, the ninth is apparently now ill somehow, uh, RSV or metapneumococci or whatever, and it's not really uh, in the public anymore. And some people do note also those people who um, are still connected to the narrative that they um, think it's obsolete with people being prosecuted by this old stuff still. So I think it's a two-sided sword that the state is running uh, or the judges that were just still active in this here. Um, my impression is that uh, if you feel the pressure of uh, prosecution, and I think uh, uh, judges and uh, public prosecutors no longer feel uh, in the atmosphere that we have, it's, it's a bit unpleasant for them, uh, particularly when they are faced with facts. But my impression is that the people who supported that narrative no longer want to do anything to do with it, you know, no longer want it to be discussed. Um, and then, okay, uh, we, we still have court cases about uh, the, the, the mask, but that is outside of their, they would just want to uh, continue as before, you know, new diseases, inflation, uh, war, and, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a past that they no longer want to look at. And and that's why I agree with you that it is important to, to, to make it public. But in a sense, it it remains within that circle of concern. 
I do still think it's important, otherwise it's simply neglected things going on behind closed doors. And I think we have to say that uh, um, uh, lawsuit against Stefan Kohn from the Ministry of Internal Affairs, which was public, it was interesting that the content of the paper that he published was not addressed at all. And this is something different. This is not uh, gotten to a, a distributed outside. It was uh, distributed in the uh, ministry. And I have to say that um, that was also in his work that he did this. And uh, it were, he was competent as well to do this kind of work. And if I think that I write something, some nonsense, something absurd, uh, for example, that we all are um, <clears throat> radiated by sweets or something like that, something that's completely out of the range, uh, something that I can think of that has no basis in reality and I send that around, then it's a quite a different story than if, just like in uh, the certificate issue, I have a scientifically carefully analyzed um, basis for what I say. And the normal method of the assessment of the situation, putting these things together and uh, joining up the facts and the findings and uh, pointing out a certain hazard. And uh, in this case, like a doctor who wants to prevent their patients from harm, in normal uh, medical examinations, I have to come to the conclusion that this is difficult. Or in Stefan Kuhn's case, that uh, raising a finger, this is something um, <clears throat> difficult. And there is a potential risk here that is different to saying uh, and publishing complete nonsense. I think this has to be analyzed and has to be part of the assessment of the courts. And that has to be demanded. And uh, the finger has been put into the wound here. And uh, I think uh, this will need a cleansing process. And uh, nobody will want to stand up to their courts and their rulings. And I think the judges should, should think well whether they say we'll drop this case um, because whatever, just as if I has heard, have heard myself in some of these uh, so-called rally uh, mask uh, uh, things, that was dropped and a judge could get out of the responsibility by simply dropping that and surely that will be better for the future and the comma. Yes, definitely. This is this a perspective, perspective that we have to make clear to them. Uh, because if I'm there as a judge, either I believe in all of it or I don't, um, the uh, cases are not just under our public, but in the public of the Ministry of Justice and uh, the presidents of the courts, and they do look at their proceedings. And then the, um, the, rather, the judge would rather kind of um, find it. That's always the, ga the, the game. The prosecution um, demands for too much, and, uh, um, and the defenders uh, ask for less, and the judge is somewhere in the middle. And if we don't make it clear that they could be prosecuted themselves, they ha don't consider this. They just look how to get out of the situation as good as possible, and that's simply done with a 
call uh, a ruling from their point of view. And this is why it's important to voice this now, if it doesn't happen anyway. And maybe one more thing on MFGDW, whatever, you know. I read on your case. Is that your case? Yes. And uh, after the public was involved in a bit bigger way, the behavior of the court changed. Is that true? No, that can't be me, because uh, from five to six people being present is not dramatic. Okay, well, then I mistook that somehow. Or, or, uh, there was a case where the judge on the court was very harsh, and there were critical people in the room, and they voiced it, and the um, court kind of moved. That was Dr. Trebel. And uh, obviously, from what we've heard, there was uh, pub the public was admitted. Okay, that apparently shows that uh, the court does not only feel uh, obliged to law, but also to atmospheric uh, vibrations. And exactly for this reason, it was so radically uh, limited in my case. And I think uh, the mask. Still, is it still the case? Still, is it still restricted? I think that was in the beginning in 2021. There's no restrictions now anymore, are there? No, but uh, the court case started now in November. Well, sorry. Uh, what court is that? Weinheim Bergstrasse. And that is restricted to hygiene rules? Yes. What basis is that done on? on the basis of uh, the director of uh, the local director who is also the president of the judge. Is that the, the, law, the law of the court? And, uh, was that? It is the, it seems to be her own world. Well, I would ask for the legal basis. Is that in the sense of the law that uh, the major court and uh, the major laws are um, ruled by the parliament and uh, by a judge in uh, in the court in Weinheim? I think public is in quite quickly here, and that's one of the basic reasons. She can't simply include the public uh, for whatever rules she wants to I'm make up. I know there are quite a few principles that I do not recognize uh, being followed by this court. I think the court in general about the mask, uh, the court cases, the, those few doctors that uh, are at the top of the list who wrote mask certification certificates, that's one uh, thing. Uh, that is, uh, there is some, uh, uh, the public is uh, being admitted there, but all the other patients who all face their own court cases, they, you do not, they don't go to the press, they have no chance, you don't read about them, you don't hear about them. I don't know, I have a stack of invitations to 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 be uh, a, a witness in court cases uh, from people uh, who had uh, mass certificates. As as I said, you said before, they should be used in current for the prosecution of crimes for, for which there is a large need yeah, there is not a... it's not as if everything was right and you know there is an urgent 
need to act. And I think the legal uh, system should look at that and state uh, the prosecutors and uh, judges as well. Well, of course, they're not interested in that. But it's interesting to see that uh, just checking why the proceedings are dropped or not dropped. Um, because for a single person, a single case, um, assuming that there is a condition, um, it's not very high. Up to two years of, of prison, I think. Um, that is actually not really much. Um, you can get more if you uh, steal something from a shop for shoplifting and uh, you can get up to five years. And now it's quite low. So usually these uh, proceedings are dropped independent of the content simply because this is uh, a minority thing. But if you have 4,000 uh, cases, of course, it is understandable from the perspective of the prosecution if they do see that they carry on. But if it is about individual patients who just got an attest once, that is absolutely the lowest level of um, the prosecution. If this is still brought in front of the court, I think, in my view, that's a clearly point um, that there is some instruction, at least indirectly, that these uh, lawsuits are going to be made uh, to state examples. Uh, if I just uh, go to the supermarket and uh, lift a bottle of uh, spirits, um, I don't get punished for that usually, or if I do a little fraud somewhere, then it's quite clearly a way of political justice here. Uh, patients are punished. Exactly. Uh, the systematic uh, persecution, and it's been happening since 2020. Uh, some were faster, some uh, court, uh, courts take longer, uh, but uh, sometimes uh, fines were issued. It was about uh, just under 5,000 euros. You know, it's incredible. Well. I, I still see this as the last twitch of a dying system which uh, manifest here. And that is going to be seen as completely inappropriate in uh, due time against the background what we just said about the bad damage that people have after the jabs now. And the <clears throat> inappropriateness is quite clear here. <laughs> Let me just finish uh, very quickly. Uh, this autumn, a lot uh, came up, whether it was the mass symposium or the expert opinion of Dr. Greinl. Uh, a lot uh, came up, and, and the president of the Professional Association of Pediatricians, Fischbach, said a big reason for the current wave of infections are the mass, the weakening of the immune system, the, uh, the non-training of the immune system. It is so obvious uh, from different sides that it is simply that it is simply shows that the entire facts, the to, 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 to spread and to raise awareness of uh, the facts and to publicize them. And then perhaps that may have uh, an impact on the legal profession and children who haven't been to school for two years, that everyone 
will will relapse but that the immune system was compromised because it had no normal interaction with a with a with an environment of viruses and bacteria and wasn't trained should be that's an incredibly important fact that should be emphasized much 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 more uh, i think that is a is 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 a reason for the current flu wave it's not just uh, the people who uh, got vaccinated but those who weren't vaccinated it obviously plays a role whether they trained the immune system over the last two years or not and and you can you know if they haven't tra trained the immune system then the mass protected them that's a contradiction we don't we we we, we don't know enough about it i think we have we had different pathogens below the mask and there was uh, uh, you know all the all the mass all the bacteria that grew underneath the the, the masks uh, you could see when you, they took it off they 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 they, they wore it uh, for entire days at a stretch well for the immune system psychoneuroimmunity is very important is the psychological pressure the fear the fear for punishment the fear for exclusion not being let in into areas being attacked <clears throat> uh, lack of breath it's endless really and the facts are all on the table and it is now time to really look at this and analyze it and for the people to refuse it and that all together things are cleaned up with these uh, myths <clears throat> and uh, these um, ideas that were created it was simply constructed for two and a half years i want to say that even without mask and uh, vaccinations is there is uh, uh, it's a fact that you are taken down by a cold and i think we should take colds as something normal and not always uh, see whether the, 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 it was uh, made worse by uh, 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 masks or or injections did you, you take your vitamin d supplements and we say no but i think the immune system works quite well normally and it's uh, sometimes uh, quite uh, beneficial to be taken out of circulation uh, for a while well uh, dr young uh, we have the next guest here i want to say that you have a very good uh, background you have two windows there it looks like you have golden wings you know uh, suitable for the season thank thank you very much thank you thank you, thank you for um explaining in great detail uh, what you've been through and uh, we will follow your uh, case closely and uh, see what has happened perhaps in the future and perhaps uh, also raise awareness uh, in in the public about all these things because uh, i think it will uh, be be even more uh, embarrassing exactly the masks are one thing but it's a uh, different area different measures around it and different lots of different problems problems which are all interlinked and i think it's important to have 
publicity and clarity throughout everything. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you for all the work that you have been doing for ages, uh, since 2020 with your committee. It's helped me very, very much uh, to look at the data, the studies, and uh, get the sources and the people, the speakers. It's important to get all this knowledge out <clears throat> and provide opportunities and also have an archive. If things are cleared up, we have to know who did what and when. Uh, there will be uh, news on that topic soon. Thank you very much for joining us and keeping us uh, up to date. Thank you. Have a nice Christmas. Thank you. Bye-bye. And you too. Now, we switch to English. I'm happy to uh, talk to um, Dr. Lee uh, Fleet. Are you here with us? Sorry, I just had to unmute. Thank okay. you so much. Perfect. Great that you're here with us. Um, you're the President and Chief Executive Officer of the Truth for Health Foundation. And um, yeah, so you've gone through quite a bit uh, or have experienced uh, quite a bit in the last uh, two years. Would be great if you could maybe give us a little bit more about your background and then what, what you're currently up to or what you can contribute to the sort of um, excavation of the truth. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor and it's particularly an honor to uh, meet vi virtually uh, Dr. Wolfgang Vodarg, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly. <laughs> I have followed your work and been so impressed with what you've been doing. Thank you for your courage and your dedication. The My background has been preventive and climacteric medicine, and actually I've spent a lot of years in internet coming to Europe because the European conferences were always so far ahead of the United States in the field of reproductive medicine, climacteric medicine, menopause, um, the aging male, and all of the areas that, that I've worked in for the last 38 years. But what began in February 2020, it's actually been three years nonstop that I've, I've been working on all of this because it was very clear quickly in February 2020 when they announced the new COVID-19 viral illness that something was amiss. And I found in the first afternoon looking online, I found the study from 2005 that Fauci's agency had published in the Journal of Virology, which is an NIH publication that talked about the success treating SARS-CoV-1 with chloroquine and its sister drug, hydroxychloroquine. And it made such sense that what the article in 2000, published in 2005, but remember they were doing the research in 2003 and 2004. And it, it stopped the virus from entering the cell and it stopped the virus, SARS-CoV-1, from replicating. 
because it was a zinc ionophore and and there were a lot there was a lot of good information in that first article and i thought okay then so we've got a way to address this and then i was interacting with other colleagues a lot of us were very active on twitter at the time before most of us were canceled in by 2021 and so I, I actually started using the early treatment protocol and writing national editorials for the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons in March of 2020 about the suppression of hydroxychloroquine and the fact that something was odd when we were getting letters from all 50 state medical boards in the United States directing doctors not to use these drugs. And so my antenna, I, I've spent a long career fighting against big medicine. So this was not new. And one of the things that was so clear was this orchestrated attack on any early treatment. And then pharmacists were having the audacity in March of 2020 to block my prescriptions. Well, that sent me apoplectic. So I started doing editorials nationally, radio interviews, talking about all of this. And Senator Ron Johnson heard my first radio interview, not my first, but heard one of my radio interviews in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the end of March, 2020, picked up the phone and out of the blue called me and said, Dr. Vliet, what's going on that doctors can't prescribe hydroxychloroquine? We've gotten donations of 76 million doses sitting in the national stockpile that President Trump wanted to disperse to doctors, clinics, and hospitals around the country. Well, I gave him an earful about what was going on and how doctors were being censored and directed and threatened by the state medical boards. And literally from there, I was in the background under the radar, working with him, getting him the medical information, helping to draft some letters that ultimately went to President Trump. He asked for my help in getting doctor's signatures on a letter he wanted to send the president. And he asked for 100 doctors. And in 48 hours, we had 1,305 signatures on the letter that Senator Johnson and I together wrote, but it came out from him because I could give the medical input to help him. And then uh, fine by me, I was pleased that he was taking the political lead. And so he gave that petition to President Trump. And by May of 2020, I had prepared with my pharmacist colleague, research pharmacist, we had prepared a full documenta documentation package and proposal for President Trump showing we had a legal letter, we had the medical justification, we had the safety analysis comparing hydroxychloroquine to over-the-counter Tylenol and NSAIDs and proton pump inhibitors, the acid reducer medicines in the U.S. that are sold over-the-counter. We, hydroxychloroquine had a better safety profile than any of those three over-the-counter drugs, and we documented all of that, put together the proposal for President Trump to use his executive authority in May of 2020, 
to declare hydroxychloroquine over the counter and bypass the FDA sabotage of access to the drug. That did not happen, as all of you know. And fast forward, it was clear that the agenda was to stop early treatment by anyone, although many of us went ahead and did it anyway, and push everyone into what we call in Arizona, the Box Canyon. They used to round up wild Mustangs and herd them into a Box Canyon from which they had no escape. The Box Canyon was the vaccine. So, which we now we know, of course, is not a traditional vaccine. So we were fighting on that front all through 2020. Then in 2021, Dr. McCullough asked me to meet with, and I was part of his team of COVID-19 doctors. I was in touch with him by August of 2020. He and I wrote the early treatment patient guide and gave that material to AAPS. It's still on their website. And that was one of the first patient guides, which has been one of my focus is patient education and empowering the patients. So then we worked together on all of that. And Dr. McCullough asked me to meet with him, Stephen Frost, Roger Hodkinson, and Mike Eden in the beginning of July 2021, when Dr. Eden had some serious information about the reproductive damage. And they, Dr. Frost and Dr. Hodkinson from Canada were looking for an organization to help Dr. Hodkinson's concept of a stop the shot campaign. And he'd been turned down by two previous organizations that were fearful of the political consequences. When Dr. Yeadon talked to me about, I was wondering why Dr. McCullough had me there at first, because I, I'm a practicing physician. So not, not one of the academic leaders. And so at any rate, when Dr. Yeadon went through what they knew 12 years ago about the damage to the ovaries and testicles, and he was concerned about reproductive effects and fertility with the COVID shots, I said, wait a minute, you guys, I don't know why I'm here. I said, this is my work in medicine for 38 years. If you damage the ovaries and testicles, you're not just damaging reproductive potential, you're damaging hormone systems that affect every organ system in the body. The integrated approach to climacteric medicine in the European model has always been looking at the way that the reproductive hormones affect every function, including brain function, cardiac function, immune system regulation, and uh, hundreds of other functions throughout the body. It's not just focused on reproduction. I said, we have got to do this. If you've got that data, we have got to do this. So Truth of Health Foundation, I had activated it in May. It was started 15 years ago for a different fight in medicine with the same kind of suppression of effective treatment in a different area. And then we went inactive in the economic crash of 2008. So I felt 
literally, I, some of you may not have the same faith tradition that I do, but I felt clearly that God spoke to me and said, Lee, you're to activate the foundation that you have the foundation activated. This is the time. And that was May 3rd, 2021, 14 years to the day from the day I filed for the tax ID number in 2007. And I activated it, talked to Dr. McCullough, all the other doctors I was working with, invited them all to be part of it. And we would use this public charity to take the message of truth to the public. And we, we launched in June, reorganized, launched in June, July, we started planning the Stop the Shot campaign. And August 4th had our first of three press conferences in August on Stop the Shot. Dr. McCullough, Dr. Yeadon, Dr. Hodkinson, and many other, Dr. Alexander, many other international experts spoke at our first three press conferences on Stop the Shot. We got shut down on our mail system for having run that campaign. We ramped up and started another and continued our fight. By the fall of 2021, it was clear that the U.S. military was being damaged by the complications of the COVID shot and the unlawful COVID mandates. And many of you know Todd Callender. He, he's on our legal advisory council, and I'm a medical consultant for his law firm. And we have worked closely together for the last two years on all of this. And he said, Lee, we have serious problems in the military. I've got thousands of people that need help. We need a voice. Can Truth for Health Foundation be a platform for the military? So that occurred in September of 2021. In July of 2021, we got asked by a different attorney to assist with hospital rescues of patients trapped in the hospitals on the COVID death protocol, which goes back, by the way, for those of you that don't know American medicine and the government control that was instituted with Obamacare in 2010, Ezekiel Emanuel wrote an article, 1999, that was published, I believe, in The Lancet. The 2009 article was published, I think, in the British Medical Journal, of course, hiding it overseas so that most Americans don't see it. And he wrote about the necessity of doing away with the oath of Hippocrates and focusing on the collective rationing medical care for those over 50 and under 15 because they didn't have a complete life and therefore they were not worthy of medical care or those over 50 should be rationed because they've already had their life. That was the architect of Obamacare writing those papers 20 years earlier and 10 years earlier and that grew out of the Liverpool Protocol in England, which was accelerated euthanasia, which many of you know about. So Ezekiel Emanuel is the in the shadows advising the Biden administration and the same architect of the complete live system rationing of medical care for the elderly 
was now the COVID policy expert for the U.S. in the background. And that is part of the genesis of the COVID death protocols in the hospitals. So when we got asked to assist with that, we created a COVID care strategy team of lawyers, nurses, specialty doctors in different fields. And literally when people reached out to us and they reached out to us from all over the country, we go in with a legal and medical team. We assist the family in getting access to the records. We review the records real time and our legal nurse consultant is advising the family, helping them get attorneys and medical experts to guide them. We have been conferenced in on phone calls between family members and hospital staff when the family was denied access except by phone. And we've been conferenced in on those phone calls, not always with the knowledge of the doctors and nurses in the hospital, but the family brought us in and the attorneys would bring us in. And I have personally heard conversations that literally actually shocked me to my core in the abusiveness towards patients, particularly the unvaccinated, the cruelty, the lies, and the way in which doctors and nurses have been speaking to patients in our experience is truly chilling. And we have literally been fighting on that front since we were asked to start that team. And to this day, we are still getting calls from families who are, have loved ones trapped in the hospital. They are using provisions from the last act of President Obama in late 2016 after the out the surprise outcome of the 2016 election when President Trump got elected, end of November, beginning of December, President Obama did two things that set the stage for what we're seeing in the United States. The CARES Act was, was I'm sorry, the Cures Act in 2016, 2020 was the CARES Act. President Obama also appointed Dr. Rick, Rick Bright, the head of BARDA, in that late stage of his administration, after they knew President Trump had won the election and Hillary Clinton did not, and they lost control. If you fast forward to 2020, Rick Barda, I'm sorry, Rick Bright, director of BARDA, was the person who later bragged about sabotaging President Trump's desire to make hydroxychloroquine available. And he is, there is an article in which he is quoted bragging about the fact that he personally wrote the FDA language in a way that would restrict its outpatient use, contradicting the orders of our commander in chief and president of the United States. So by setting Rick Bright in place in late 2016 with a known agenda of what he believed, 
and what his role was, I think set the stage for part of the sabotage we faced in 2020 with lack of access to hydroxychloroquine. Now, a lot of that happened before we knew from Brazil in about April 2020 that ivermectin also worked. Well, you all know what happened with the media discrediting both drugs and mocking them and persecuting doctors for prescribing them. Under the remdesivir protocols in the hospitals, and, and stop me if I'm saying things that you already know all the details, but what we discovered in the summer of 2021, and I wrote an editorial about it, that the CARES Act set up all kinds of waivers and immunities for hospitals in the U across the US and incentive payments for them to only use the approved COVID protocol in hospitals. The approved protocol, of course, was any patient coming into the hospital ER for any reason got a PCR test, and we all know the flaws of that. In addition, we had whistleblowers reporting to us that hospitals could, their labs could set the cycle threshold. So many hospitals were actually increasing the cycle threshold above what the CDC recommended and almost virtually guaranteeing an 80 to 90% false positive rate, which in turn, they get a COVID diagnosis, they admit them to the COVID floor, they start restricting fluids, they start restricting food, they give them remdesivir, and we know what happens. The kidneys start to fail, the fluid backs up in the lungs, you're dehydrated, you can't circulate blood adequately for oxygenation, and the patient's oxygen sats drop, voila, another ka on the cash register, and the patients are put on a ventilator, bringing another incentive payment to the hospitals. The hospitals were getting, and I'm sure you've seen this statistic by now, but the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that regulates so much of this in the U.S. is paying incentives of 20% on the entire hospital bill for hospitals that use remdesivir. So that means if the hospital bill, it isn't just a 20% bonus on the cost of the medicine. It's a 20% bonus on the whole bill. So if the, depending on how long the patient's in the hospital, the bill can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. The attorneys, Dan Watkins and Michael Hamilton, who were the first two in the United States to actually take the lawsuits against hospitals forward. Although many of us in medicine have been screaming for that for the last two years. Finally, in September 2021, they had the courage to take it forward and their specific legal causes of action. This is from their press release. And I quote, wrongful death, constructive fraud, violation of the elder abuse and dependent adult civil protection act. That's in California and medical negligence and battery. They are 
taking the cases forward against three hospitals and doctors in Fresno, California. And so they have state law in California they can use as well as federal law. And this landmark case, again, I'm quoting from their press release because I interviewed them ahead of their press release. And then we aired the radio whistleblower report after their press release. Quote, this landmark case alleges that plaintiffs were subjected to medical deception and given a protocol by the defendants, the centerpiece of which is the poisonous and deadly drug remdesivir. Plaintiffs were not properly informed regarding the dangers of the drug and were instead placed on a protocol which was medically unnecessary, causing most of the plaintiffs to die a horrific death, end quote. And all of you know that, but I wanted to quote from their press release because Truth for Health Foundation gave a grant to support the cost of their litigation. Now, we are not fully funding it. They are raising funds separately from many sources, but we did feel this was an important step for the public charity human defense, human rights defense organization to give a programmatic grant to support their efforts. Since that time, Truth for Health Foundation is taking separately with a different law firm two wrongful death cases forward on more targeted legal issues that help us bypass the immunity provided under the CARES Act and the Cures Act with tackling remdesivir head on. So we have engaged, the foundation is committing donor funds in a programmatic lawsuit to take forward two cases, one in Wisconsin and one in Maryland on wrongful deaths on more targeted legal strategies that we think have a good chance of being successful by bypassing some of the immunity provisions that the remdesivir cases face. Now, all of us believe that we need to fight on all fronts and we need to take as many cases forward with as many strategies as possible. What has been very valuable about working together with Warner Mendenhall's law firm on these cases that the foundation is funding is that we have a full medical team working with the law firm, pointing out areas that we see medically are violations of medical practice and medical ethics and patient care standards and then asking the lawyers to help us find a legal strategy. So working together as a medical legal team between the foundation and the law firm, and we have other attorneys on our legal advisory council who have fought similar issues in hospitals for 20 years or more, not just COVID. And so, our volunteer legal advisors on the foundation's advisory council then assist 
the law firm that's actually going to litigate the cases. And we've got the legal nurse consultants and the medical and scientific experts on our advisory council. Most of the people are listed on our website so you can see the diversity of people that we bring to the team. And this has been a very, a very um, significant pros, pros, project. And we have spent many, many hours in legal strategy meetings, looking at ways we can do an end run around the opposition and the obstacles and try and find justice for these patients. Then we also take the approach of trying the cases in the court of public opinion with press conferences and our whistleblower report radio shows that air daily, Monday through Friday, 12 noon and 12 midnight Eastern time on the America Out Loud talk radio. Once they are broadcast live, then they go to podcast on all the global networks. So you can look at the resource of the legal topics we have under the whistleblower report series that the foundation is funding. We have the vaccine report. We welcome all of you vaccine experts to talk with us on the whistleblower report. Mike Eden in, and Sasha Latipova and Hedley Reese and several other international people are on the team. Dr. Jancy Lindsay are on the team doing the vaccine reports under the whistleblower report series. We have the medical report, legal report, military report, vaccine report, and the faith report, looking at how the churches are being co-opted by the politicized federal directives, putting government as God instead of biblical teachings. So we're tackling all of the institutions that are betraying their oath, that are harming the public, and a multi-pronged approach that as one band of warriors, we've, we are doing our best to do our part with the generosity of our donors. And I, I want to say at the outset that given some of the scandals that have arisen around public charities in the United States, this foundation and my commitment to our donors has been that it will be run absolutely by the book on the IRS guidelines. I take no compensation from the donor money. I don't feel that's right. I will earn my livelihood through my hours in my separate independent medical practice that has no connection with the foundation. And in fact, I rarely even mention it because I don't want there to be a conflict. So most of our advisors, in fact, I would say all of the physicians and scientists working with Truth For Health Foundation are working pro bono because we believe that it's the right thing to do. And our donor money is used in the legal defense arena and in the educational programs and resources to help the public. The other major difference with our organization, there are so many good strong organizations that are doing medical and scientific programs to educate the public. We're, our focus is to get into the grassroots at the community level and empower patients and citizens with the tools that they need in their community and in their families to 
defend themselves against the medical tyranny and the lack of medical freedom. So most of our educational resources are written with the idea of being layman's guides, fact sheets, layman's treatment guides. We have the scientific references, but our goal is to write these treatment guides, the vaccine injury treatment guide, the early COVID treatment, home treatment guide, radiation injury treatment guide, fact sheets on how to stay out of the hospital and save your life. All of these materials are designed to be written at the high school or 10th grade reading level, we hope, so that the average person who doesn't have any medical training can understand them. And they're written in a stepwise way to give people a step-by-step guide. We call them your roadmaps to recovery. And then we have several citizens initiatives, the vaccine, the civilian vaccine injury treatment guide, but the citizens vaccine injury reporting system, because the CDC isn't disclosing their data. And as we build our database and have the experts analyze it, we disclose that to the public. We also have the Oathbreaker project where citizens can report those in medicine, law, ministry, military, government, who are breaking their oath to serve the public. And we have the Sentinel Event Reporting Project to encourage citizens to file complaints against the hospitals through the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Hospitals. And then there are the criminal complaint forms that Todd, Todd Callender's firm designed for us to use to guide citizens how to file pro se litigation, because there simply aren't enough attorneys to go around. So I think I can best summarize our philosophy as instead of doing a presentation that gives people a fish for a meal, our goal is to teach them how to fish so that they can go and take these tools and serve their families and communities and teach others. So that's a quick overview of the broad approaches and the multi-pronged strategies that we've been using. And I have the interview that I've shared with Corvin for all of you, the audio interview with attorneys Dan Watkins and Michael Hamilton, so that when you would like to listen to it, you can have that resource to go back and hear what they said in September at the time of their press conference and press release. And we were honored to help support the litigation. And as the donor generosity continues, we will continue to do that. Um, so the next step would be to invite them back to talk in more detail about the legal strategies and what they have encountered in the months since they filed the lawsuit. I know that they are taking cases forward in about six other states in the US and developing legal teams to do that. So I hope that you'll be able to uh, be successful in having them join you for another program. But I wanted to at least give you the medical input on what we've been doing and how we've been working with many different law firms and lawyers to find ways to hold them accountable 
for their actions. And our press conferences on all of this are archived on our website. We've had many fired, for, we've been about a dozen fired for medical freedom, fired for freedom, holding hospitals accountable, exposing the incentive payments, exposing recordings from hospital executives, colluding to withhold nutrition and fluids. I mean, it is really very chilling when we've got the whistleblowers coming forward with all of this. So I know all of you know the enormity of the problem and you're fighting on many fronts. We, we are honored to be here and, and representing the foundation. And if we can be of assistance, we're happy to do that. Happy to have any of you experts on the whistleblower report and let's make it even more of an international effort. So thank you for having me. Really, like a very impressive, um, you know, list of activities. It's really a multi-multi-prong approach. I can see, like, you're basically a powerhouse for all the <laughs> kinds of uh, various activities that one can unfold in this whole matter. And I think it's really great that you provide the <coughs> patients or victims of, um, well, the the uh, injections and and uh, whoever else might be affected, like relatives and so on with this, um, mm -hmm. as you said, like uh, teach them how to fish themselves, um, uh, uh, papers and all that. I think it's a very, very important thing. So I just have one question, like with regards to these remdesivir cases, is there, have they been um, accepted? How how have then they gone forward? Is, is there, or have they been rejected immediately, kicked out of court or like what's the, what's the status of the case in, at this point in time? Well, to to be honest, I think Dan and Michael have been so overwhelmed, it's a little difficult reaching them to, to get the update. But my understanding um, in the last communication I had a few weeks ago is that they are moving forward and they are moving the cases forward with state-based attorneys in other states. They have mentioned Arizona. Texas, Kentucky, and there are about three others in the model that they are using. And, and they are going after, they are hitting remdesivir head on, on those legal causes of action that I named very quickly, wrongful death, constructive fraud, violation of the Elder Abuse and Dependent Adult Civil Protection Act, medical negligence and battery. So my understanding is they are moving forward. As you know, that's an uphill battle against big medicine, big pharma, big government, and the tech censorship. Now, what our approach is, is a little different. We are taking, we have two very narrowly defined cases, as I mentioned, in two different states. And we have whistleblowers that are giving us information to help support those. But our cases are focused on the violation of state statutes on do not intubate directives from the patient and do not resuscitate wrongful, illegal DNR orders, as well as 
violations of the Americans with Disabilities Act and wrongful death, use of medicines other than remdesivir that were improperly used that hastened death. An example, one patient who was not diabetic was given insulin on top of midazolam, fentanyl, Presidex, and morphine, and was dead a few hours after the last doses. Insulin was not medically indicated, and that is a wrongful death on misuse of other medications separate patient did not get remdesivir and because there was no remdesivir used and the patient was not on a ventilator we have other causes of action and then there is a different case where the patient did get remdesivir but that's not the focused cause of legal action that the attorneys feel is the way to take the case forward in that state. So our thought is, and we're, we're also taking forward two cases that, let me, let me clarify. The foundation offers legal defense grants to individuals, and in particular, our focus has been on military service members who are being punished and retaliated against over the unlawful COVID shot mandates and illegal unlawful testing and masking mandates because all of those are experimental use products and you cannot lawfully mandate them. So legal defense grants and our military is much more vulnerable than the civilian population because they can't simply leave a job and go get another job. If they if you refuse an order, they risk being court-martialed and imprisoned. So our priority with limited donor money was to help support them because they defend us. So we've made a big initiative to support the military with individual grants where we could. In addition to that, we made a decision, the board of directors and the executive team, voted to approve my recommendation that we take two separate military plaintiff cases forward as a program lawsuit by the foundation, which meant the individuals were not given an individual grant, but the foundation was coming in to say, this is so important for all military and all civilians that this is what the IRS allows a public charity to engage in legal defense of core human and civil rights secured by law. So the foundation is coming in to pay for those two cases. One has been filed in California, one is being filed in Texas in January. So there, there are those four cases on the this front. And then we have engaged Warner Mendenhall's firm to take forward two cases on the False Claims Act violations, where hospitals are making fraudulent claims to the government 
And the foundation can be the relator that takes the case forward to recover money on behalf of the public and the U.S. taxpayers. So we have, right at the moment, the foundation is taking six different cases forward in six different jurisdictions with different purposes, and we're hoping to get to first base on several of those. So that's that's been the added legal strategy separate from the remdesivir cases. It was a little longer answer to your question, but it brought up some things I wanted to be sure I mentioned, because I think we've got to go after a lot of different legal fronts. Sorry, uh, Dr. Vodak. Yes, I'm sorry, may I have a question? Um, you, for sure you know about the recovery studies that they did with, with uh, hydroxychloroquine, where they overdosed it enormously yeah. yes. and killed a lot of people with that. Do yes. you, is there some, is there, I think they did it to, to just to, to blame hydroxychloroquine that it's not uh, good for, so that it should no longer be used, that you just misused this. And then they stopped it when it came out. But uh, do you, do you deal with it? Are you, are there cases which you follow up? Because those people, they were victims of a strategy, of a very bad strategy. They were they were presented as, as victims of COVID, and uh, they were victims, like with remdesivir, they were victims of overdosing a drug. And um, I think it's a very, it was a very dramatic thing. Do you deal with this too? Yes, actually, we came out swinging on that study. I had several editorials about the deliberate misuse of the drug. And in fact, it was so shocking and so outrageous that that we actually spoke out a lot on that as in every venue we could. And remember, all mm -hmm. of us are getting censored, so it's difficult to break through the mainstream media control. But we just keep fighting and slowly, I think we're slowly turning the Titanic. But let me say this about hydroxychloroquine. I mean, I've had patients on it for years and most practicing physicians have, have many patients on it. They're being treated for rheumatoid and lupus at doses of 400 yes, to 800 milligrams a day for decades with no problems. The American College of Rheumatologists don't even require a baseline EKG before rheumatologists prescribe it for lupus or rheumatoid. Now, what's interesting, because my practice is preventive and climacteric medicine, a lot of the patients I see that have rheumatoid or lupus also have endocrine problems, but someone yeah. may have already put them on hydroxychloroquine. But I started using it aggressively in March of 2020, in the early treatment of COVID, and I was digging into the literature in many ways as fast as I could. And what I found, and, and I still encounter doctors that are shocked by this, what I found was we have 40 years of data on hydroxychloroquine as an anti-diabetes drug that improves glucose, A1C, and lipids, and a very well-done study in 2014 published in the U.S. 
showed improvements in all of those markers. And then the more I dug into it, lo and behold, it's being used as a repurposed drug to treat multiple cancers as an adjunct. And they have excellent studies on hydroxychloroquine reducing prostate cancer metastasis. So with all of that extra digging that I, I just hadn't had really a need to look into to that degree before mm-hmm. all of the negative garbage about how dangerous this drug was, I, I have been using it much more extensively in my practice. I use it to treat inflammatory mm-hmm. pain from endometriosis, from acute flare-ups of autoimmune thyroiditis. I'm using it to treat yes. vaccine injury. Just, I'm u- all of this. I know this because I was do, I was working in tropical medicine and I was using it against malaria as prophylaxis yes. also when it was still working, and I used it in rheumatism with rheumatism too. And this is no this is no problem. It's it's very clear. But what they did, they did not take the normal dose with 600 milligram a day or something like that, but they took more than two gram. Yes. This is in the in the recovery study, and with that they killed people. Yes. They had card- they had cardiac arrests and all this, and they did not think of the favorism of the six phosphate glucose dihydrogenase. I can don't cannot spell it in English, but you know this enzyme which is missing there is in the black population. They know it in the black population. There are twenty percent in some countries. Thirty percent of the people that don't have this enzyme. And when they get when they get when when you don't uh, watch out, you also have an hemolysis with them. Yes. And this is very dangerous. And you have to. So this is a contraindication. But in these studies, which were done in the beginning of 2020, nobody mentioned it. They were not excluded in the studies. So it's, you're uh, you're right. It was it was uh, in fact. Didn't the government of Brazil investigate the in, the researchers on that study? Yes, but there, there was a study in, in Great Britain also, a recovery study. And there was yes. there were there were criminal studies done with the highly overdosed. And this is this is just to to, to make a bad impression on hydroxychloroquine. They they just misused this drug to, to say, oh, you shouldn't take it. You're exactly right. In fact, that is the true evil of all of this that we've been seeing. Our governments have knowingly killed people to justify the ends of total control. And that, that is so evident to me. I can't see how anyone can look at the data and think otherwise. It was intentional. And Dr. Yeadon has talked about this extensively that they have, and Dr. Lindsay, many others who know the history of the mRNA platform development, knew the lipid nano, they knew the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles in all the animal species studied from 15 years ago. They knew the damage of the spike protein and they continued you cannot interpret it any other way than this was intent to harm. 
Yes, the, even the Paul Ehrlich Institute in, in Germany, they published a work, uh, some 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 publication about the spike protein, its toxicity. They took isolated spike proteins, and they they uh, used them and they injected them, and they found out uh, the hemagglutination of the the, the the blood clots and such things and and syncytia uh, forming out of many cells and all this. They published it in January 2021. And in um, the same time, they started giving those shots where this toxic spike protein would be produced within the people. So they, they were schizophrenic. On one hand, they said, oh, spike protein is very dangerous and it's on the surface of the coronavirus. It's very dangerous. And on the other yes. hand, they gave the on the other hand, they, they, they gave it and they, they made clinical, not clinical trials, but they made laboratory studies and published that it is dangerous. So they knew exactly what they were doing. Exactly right. Dr. Vodard, I, you know, it's, it's difficult for people of conscience to wrap their minds around the fact that the reality is this has been a malevolent, diabolical design from the beginning. And it's difficult for normal people to wrap their minds around that, which is why I think it's important in our work that we talk about the intent and how long they knew the damage, long yes. before they rolled this out. That's and right. we will continue to hammer that to... And I will continue this fight to my dying breath. This has been, this in part, patient advocacy and doing the right thing for the patient and honoring the oath of Hippocrates to serve the patient is something that I've held dear for my whole career in medicine, not just the corona fight. And, and I've spent a lot of years going up against narratives that were harmful to patients and drugs that were harmful to patients and misrepresentation of the data. And I've said all along, you know, in the U.S., everybody understands about insurance contracts and doctors are contracted with insurance and you got to file your insurance. I resigned from all insurance contracts in 1986 because I said in my first year of practice, I cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve what the insurance companies are telling me to do and do the right thing for the patient because most of the time they've been in conflict. And I just said to my husband, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm just starting my practice and I'm just starting to make money again after eight years of training, but I can't do this. I can't sleep at night. So we found a way forward. We just spoke to the patients and I spent a career advocating for the patients. I always said, I answered to God and I answered to the patients. And there's no governor that's going to tell me when I can and cannot prescribe for a patient something they need. So I just think all of us in medicine need to stand up for the oath that we took to serve the patient. That has been the tradition since Hippocrates, and it's all throughout the Old and New Testament of the Bible. And that's our obligation. And the physicians that don't do that are going to answer for it on Judgment Day. And if you don't answer on in this world, you will eventually. And I just ask you to look yourselves in the mirror and ask, how can I knowingly 
continue to harm people. These are human beings who deserve our yes. compassion and our care. You're right. Wow, Dr. Fried, thanks so much for your presentation. And I think we're, you're definitely going in the right direction. And it would be great Thank to you. get an update of what's been going on in your activities like in the near future. And we're going to link the, um, the statements by your uh, legal team uh, on our Telegram ch uh, channel so people can take a look at that. Great. Thank you so much. And may I suggest another expert for you to consider bringing on? Todd Callender and his researcher, Lisa McGee, mm -hmm. have uncovered some staggering information. She has done extraordinary digging into databases that we didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And this is just in the last two weeks. I've been working closely with them on what Lisa has diligently and with a great deal of dedication and perseverance has uncovered that she's the first to say we need experts, medical and scientific, to look at all of this and help make sense of it and explain it and put it to good use. So I would just suggest that you might consider that. I'll be happy to link up um, Corvin with Todd and Lisa so that you could perhaps have them on if you decide you want to pursue the information they've just uncovered in the last couple of weeks. Super, sounds very interesting. So Corvin will get in touch with you about it and then okay. um, super. Yeah, so Merry Christmas to you. It's uh, Thank you. Yes, Merry Christmas, too. Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. And just all of you, thank you so much. I spent some wonderful Christmases in Germany and enjoyed it. In fact, I still have some of the um, things I bought at Omar Amigal and I, uh, many wonderful Christmases in Italy, down in Sorrento and Florence. And I have some things that I got there. I think Europe does Christmas in a very beautiful way. And I just hope all in the Christmas markets. So I'm envious of all of you. <laughs> having fun at your Christmas markets and the season. So have a wonderful season and God bless you all. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. on thank on the you show. too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah, Bye. Un unglaublich, was Sie da offenbar alles bewegt. Ja. Ich weiß nicht, ob unser ähm, letzter ja. Gast jetzt da ist. Ähm, Jeroen Pohls. Mhm. Yes, I'm here. Okay, you're a current guest. You are one of the founders of uh, Virus Truth and uh, very uh, active in Holland. Uh, last time we talked to you at Virus Truth, you have put it on a different uh, foundation, uh, no longer as a foundation, but because of all these illegal uh, and uh, 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 attacks. And now we just uh, uh, discussed what happened in one case that you are representing. Uh, it's about a well-known speaker who in Holland uh, wanted to say something, David Eich, and he 
was banned from traveling and there is a judgment now that has relevance for many other people who uh, uh, question measures uh, issued by the governments. Perhaps you could comment on that. Last week we had a judgment, why don't you eat, uh, but we have three court cases last week. Uh, first, they didn't want to give us uh, the uh, police files uh, that this was based on. Uh, when you're on the Schengen computer, you cannot travel uh, to the 26 Schengen countries. Romania do that, use that as well, and the United States. And then you can no longer leave your country. Uh, so the police files, uh, we had a case uh, uh, for disclosure of the police files. Eventually they gave them to us. Uh, the reason was that we would uh, gain knowledge of the activity of the police and the level of knowledge. And uh, I don't know, I will explain to you if uh, how a police file looks, what a police file looks. And I understand why they want to keep it secret because I think the first class uh, in the first class of uh, of uh, at school you would uh, get a better better paper what i wanted to uh, talk about uh, i got an invitation to speak on the 6th of november on the peace rally it was organized uh, by the truth and many other organizations and he accepted the invitation and as soon as it was known um politicians as well as city uh, city is a jewish interest uh, group foundation uh, that uh, promotes israel interests and is also financed by soros so you know why they uh, uh, joined uh, joined the the bandwagon immediately and then there was a huge fuss uh, in the media and the question arose how can it, uh, we prevent to uh, prevent this holocaust uh, liar and uh, jew hater uh, hold his speech in amsterdam and when they found that there was no reason to, uh, to ban the rally the state secretary and the uh, responsible minister simply uh, signed something just in order to prevent him from speaking for 20 minutes. And it was the only reason. That was the only reason. And um, then I asked, can Ike be present at his own court case? Because if he doesn't speak, then he's no danger to public order. Um, and that was refused by the judge because otherwise he would uh, enter the country without without it being checked uh, whether the, he presents a danger to the public uh, order. And then we had the uh, court case and it was uh, live. You could, uh, you could stream, uh, you could uh, follow the live stream and many people did and luckily uh, a lot of uh, university people and uh, uh, people from the legal profession and what uh, came out then that the judge 
that the judge, how shall I put it, everything that was uh, found in the police files, but also in the report from the NCTV, and that's the National Coordinator for Terrorism and Security in Netherlands. And it's an organization that doesn't exist. It has no legal base, but operates like a secret service. And and they and they pull the strings. And they uh, wanted the media to report everything the same way and to to <coughs> and 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 that they prevented from people from speaking legally, etc. But what is shocking is that these the the judge what he said because it started you know that it was a Jew hate etc. But uh, in the court case, I said there is nowhere any hint, any reason that tells us that uh, he is an anti-Jew uh, hater or. Uh, denies a Holocaust, and I said, if these accusations are uh, made, we will uh, not uh, countenance it, and we will uh, make a legal case out of it. Now, this was not the uh, content of the court case. Now, let's see what he says in his judgment, and uh, and I will read it out to you. I don't know whether it's uh, in in German because it makes it uh, makes clear what situation we are in because with Ike we are all uh, a danger for state security now let me read it out what the judge says uh, the trio information uh, report that's the police file has details that the applicant for many years is known as a spreader of conspiracy theories and that his presence will cause disturbances. Now, the freedom to have an opinion and to voice it leaves plenty of room to whatever conspiracy theory you want to promulgate. You know, there is no law on the contrary um, due on the basis of uh, the European Court of uh, Law, and they uh, clearly state that the freedom of opinion does not just apply to information and ideas that are harmless, but also for opinions that can cause offense, shock, and disturbance. A pluralist society requires tolerance and openness without According to the uh, view of the uh, uh, court, there is no democratic society. And if you then ban someone uh, from accessing, from access, so that they can't speak, then this is a contravention of this law. But the judge did not even mention it. It wasn't even. It wasn't even. It was. Uh, it was not even important to him. And then let me continue here. What he said. Mm, he said, he continued, his arrival in the Netherlands is not just uh, a risk relevant uh, for the public uh, order in Amsterdam, but it will have an impact on the polarization of uh, within the Netherlands society and will cause 
reactions and can lead to demonstrations and counter demonstrations. And now the report by the NCTV, it says it describes a movement in the Netherlands that follows, com that follows um, theories, conspiracy theories, where demo democratic principles are rejected and according to NTCV, spreading of spreading of this series through known leaders can cause others to take on these ideas and spread them further. Now, apart from uh, a normalization, uh, the threat of such conspiracy theories is twofold. First, the dehumanization of uh, adversaries and, uh, and violent acts and uh, including home visits. And I said, there is by now 100,000 or even millions of people who know that, that the state, that, that, that the state, that the action of the state is no longer of in our interest, but it follows other interests. And many people have never heard of David Icke. They don't need him. They just need to notice that that they have been that they have been oppressed for two and a half years by the state that uh, uh, land is taken away from farmers and if you have problems with such movements you need to uh, change your policy and not uh, uh, ban and not uh, and then he continues let me just check where we are. On the one hand, it leads to the dehumanization, home visits, threats, etc. On the other hand, the spread of conspiracy theories uh, undermines the trust of the public in the institutions of the democratic state. That means that if we now, uh, that, that, that we demand of politicians that we question their motivations, what's the background of what they are doing. If you do, if you say that, then you are a risk for the democracy, because if I say that, then other people could, could also be furious with these politicians and that causes hate and whatever. Yeah. So if you follow these arguments, then this is dangerous. And the NTCBTC says in the threat analysis that over the last years there have been several uh, serious events that have to do with the development of uh, conspiracy theory and, uh, well, here Engel is uh, mentioned again, someone who with a torch uh, uh, went to the home of Minister Carr and only asked, I want to talk to you. He didn't utter a threat and he got six months in jail just because of that. And that is now mentioned as a consequence of this conspiracy theory. Apart from the fact that whether the applicant is 
uh, is, is, is claimed to uh, use uh, the hate of Jews and other. Uh, you know, that was the only time when it was mentioned in the court uh, judgment. But it says the applicant, the applicant, uh, sorry, the, the, the minister, in view of the applicant is a spreader of conspiracy theories. I don't know. You don't have in Germany a law that uh, uh, bans the spreading of. So as the applicant says, the core of the message is that the current politicians and decision makers dis systematically commit crimes by undermining, uh, by feeding a pandemic and driving an agenda to uh, expose the population to medical experiments. And that is what they are using in the risk analysis. It's a nice. Um, it's a nice summary of the reality, but in this judgment, it is taken as a conspiracy theory. It's not just me, it's you as well. We are all a danger, a risk for state security. If I get this right, it is prohibited in Holland now to uh, suspect corruption and uh, follow it up or uh, voice the suspicion that there may be some co yes, corruption exactly. inside the state apparatus. Because people become mad when they hear it and then... Well, that would be a conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy theory. theory. And the European Court of Law has gives immense freedom with regard to criticism of uh, leading personalities, leaders, and the state. what The only thing you mustn't do is you mustn't call people to commit acts of violence, but you can uh, accuse and, and claim anything that is not, uh, everything is allowed. But this seems to be forgotten entirely. I, I call this, I call this national socialist uh, language. I I I I saw I read a thesis on that, and what they did at the time was again just you you wanted to you 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 knew where to argue, and they just uh, uh, you know uh, uh, expanded the right to include all that. You know they just uh, adjusted the laws to fit the purpose. This is just a new aspect. It was only not only the national socialists; uh, it was all totalitarian systems to do that. Yes, of course, you don't want any opposition. Then comes, uh, I said, <coughs> NTCC uh, acts like a secret service, and uh, and I then of the official secret service, the AEVD. Uh, in Germany, it would be uh, the uh, state, uh, the uh, Verfassungsschutz, and there is a guideline, and the guidelines clearly states that that at the time they followed the anti-globalists. It was in 2005, and they followed them and collected information on them, and then. The consequence was that uh, it was said you mustn't, you can, you must only uh, 
uh, follow criticisms or demonstrators if they have the objective to pursue their goals in a violent manner. However, if protest is peaceful and they do not, uh, the state must not monitor these people. And here we have a secret service that have no basis in law. They just exist, you know, without existing, so to speak, and they uh, do this, uh, issue this sort of report, which is then used by judges, but they have no, they have no, uh, they, they, they must not follow these criticisms. It's not their job and it's a contrary to the law. And then the judge says, yes, it may well be that they have no authority to do that, but nevertheless, uh, the DTNCTB as an expert, they are seen as an expert, and then it doesn't matter whether they have a legal basis or not. Uh, the minister uh, can refer to that. You know, we have today, uh, we've had the uh, the verbal uh, 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 case. It was online, and I was uh, sitting in front of a black, uh, a black uh, screen, and I didn't know who I was talking to because I kept the name secret. And I asked, how can I understand who am I talking to? Perhaps a cleaning lady of, I don't know who it is. Uh, show you the secret report that was published following the uh, uh, complaint we make. We made, uh, I show it to you. Um, can we? Yes, I, yes just I just wanted to say that if this um, addressing of corruption and these things is a problem, and theoretically organizations like uh, Transparency International or C Control um, or even prosecutors who uh, have conspirational theories should be threatened with the same uh, assessments. But they don't uh, spread conspiracy theories because they don't do anything. <coughs> they. So, sorry. Uh, well, anyway, uh, look, let me share it, th this with you. Okay. I have uh, translated, it looks a bit odd, but this is what it looks like. It's called uh, DRIO. And this is the Regional Information Unit. We have so many uh, secret services, you, 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 you are losing track. Anyway, um, let's have a look. Now, this was secret, but it says so in here on Sunday, uh, the demonstration takes place, and that uh, David Icke, and that has uh, led to uh, the protest of uh, Jewish and left-wing groups. And it usually doesn't matter if there was a counter demonstration, then it's job the, uh, of the police to provide hundreds of, uh, you know, but a demonstration is a basic law. In a democracy, we only have two ways to voice our opinion. Uh, elections, once every four weeks, uh, every years in Holland, and two, uh, uh, join a demonstration, a rally. <coughs> now, here they come to the conclusion that in view of the reaction of the society, it is, cannot be excluded. It is not to be expected. No, it, it cannot be uh, excluded that the arrival of David Icke at the rally will lead to a disturbance of public order. 
due to the uh, attention by the media and the reaction of both sides, uh, his arrival will be the focus of the attention, both from proponents as well as adversaries. And it is possible that his physical uh, presence can lead to stronger reactions of counter demonstrations, but that his absence can lead to feelings of amongst demonstrations who already have uh, a David Icke has been known for many years as a uh, spreader of information. And the source is The Guardian. The Guardian is a new newspaper uh, that uh, is published every day. So on the basis of what? This is the reason. And then they refer to uh, David Icke's uh, utterances where, uh, which caused counter-reactions. Twice from Germany, uh, he was refused uh, uh, travel to Germany twice because he spreads dis uh, and in Australia, um, the, the Australian opposition party says we were concerned uh, if uh, the minister, David Coleman, everyone who intends to sow the dangerous seeds of disunity, well, this is a bit of an awkward translation, and the feeling of shows and the reaction of the Jewish community. The city has reacted to the planned arrival of Ike and has announced that it is not acceptable to give him a stage, a platform. There was nothing about uh, Jewish hate. And even the minister said in parliament, it is a Jew hater. And we are pleased that we gave, them, gave him no access, that we refuse access. <coughs> and there is the uh, Dutch AFD. It's a forum for democracy. And they, they called the politician. And it's also, and David Icke is also made responsible for that. And another video uh, parliamentarian is also ascribed to Icke. So Icke is uh, responsible for all these government critical uh, statements. And let me just check here. The youngest developments show that uh, the conclusion can be drawn that the arrival of David Icke is not just relevant for the public order in Amsterdam, but whether you give him a platform or not will more or less also uh, have an impact on the polarization within the Netherlands society. And so it continues on and on. But there is no information. Uh, just a bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, rumor left and right, and that's supposed to be police work. Uh, yeah, I just want to show you what the police, what, what police work is uh, is like, and that's uh, short of the story uh, about Ike. Do you, as a former attorney, want to uh, talk about that, a prosecutor? Uh, I would have to say that doesn't really spark a lot of trust into the legal system if um, 
these uh, crazy ideas uh, uh, endanger the public orderliness. Uh, there seems to be little needed to do that. Um, from the prosecutor's point of view and uh, from uh, the aliens law, I didn't know that a, a risk of the public orderliness reasons that. So, did I get it right? Does that apply for the whole Schengen area? Yes, correct. And for two years, it's Article 24 of the Schengen uh, uh, Ordinance. It's a SIS-2 system, which says that persons who 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 are who uh, come from a non-Schengen country, it only applies uh, to persons. Uh, they can be refused access if they constitute uh, a danger to public uh, 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 public safety. If and if this is the case, if someone has been uh, sentenced for crimes or if there is the suspicion and they have to be specific uh, on, on the basis of where, where that, that, that he is will be serious crimes in the place that he is traveling to. So what we're seeing here is such an extension of this definition, which is doubtful in itself, because with that you can just uh, refuse uh, entry to people. And from first, for, for the first time, uh, it is also for for visa for visum-free countries, it's no longer uh, possible to travel there. You have to. Uh, apply for a permission and it can be refused on the grounds of health or on the grounds of public safety. Yeah. So that is in addition, no requirement for the visa. So you get the visa and you need this additional uh, approval? No, that means all the people, all the countries from which you can travel without a uh, uh, without uh, uh, visum, you can now have need to have permission. And there is a database, and that database is searched. And for me, it means, on the basis of the judgments, that we are moving towards if they find something that you have that you have critically uh, 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 said. For example, uh, the, 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 the conspiracy theory that w that you're no longer able to travel to the Schengen countries. And we see that clearly. It was uh, not only here, but the NCTV that uh, criminalizes people who are critical of the government. And that is getting worse. And what we're moving to is that it will be uh, liable to prosecution to, as Wolfgang said, uh, if you if you utter certain criticisms and question motivations and backgrounds of uh, of of acts, and and that is that is. And, and, and that is the anchor, that is the basis of democracy, that you can do that. You know, the state must not have an opinion on the opinions of people and if, if they are not, uh, if they're not a criminal activity. And a conspiracy theory is, you know, you could just 
even if it's a conspiracy theory, you, it's a matter of everything is being turned over, and with the logic, you can you can no longer you can no longer use logic as an argument. It is you you cannot. Yeah. The result is clear. The question is how to find the arguments to get there. But one more question, anyway, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I got the same terminology as in the German law. Public safety uh, and security is everything, at least in the German law. As soon as you violate any any law, then you um, violate uh, public safety. So that's something that you can exclude anybody from crossing any borders. That's a massive impact, isn't it? Isn't there no corrective? except from the appropriateness, perhaps? No, there is. The problem is that they are trying to expand it. Public sa uh, safety and order uh, uh, has different, is, is, is different, has different m meanings. And the meaning that they're using here is the limited meaning, which means that it is for concrete criminal acts or there must be a suspicion of concrete criminal acts to be uh, committed. And if that is not the case, you mustn't refuse uh, entry. This is uh, uh, misuse. The, the, the rule was never devised for that. But they're trying to expand uh, the, the coverage in order to, and if they, if they are successful here, then they would use it routinely. That is how it works. But the positive thing is that there have been strong reactions from several professors of universities who said that he said they said they are shaken by this because now anyone could be uh, prosecuted. That was a conclusion of these uh, professors, and it was uh, picked up by all the newspapers. And, uh, <coughs> you know, in that sense, it was positive because many woke up and say, and thought, you know, what's happening here? Just a brief point. It's a reverse of the burden of proof, really. If the simple suspicion is enough to exclude people from traveling, it's, uh, it's bad. more than that because they even wanted to keep uh, keep it secret we had to uh, issue an injunction to see what is it is what is the basis of this uh, but uh, the i think in germany frau fasner the minister the minister who also said that that conspiracy theories need a reversal of their uh, obligation to prove something. I think it's in general the so-called So you see this development everywhere, uh, you know, not just in Holland. <coughs> a question also, there's no uh, point that David Icke himself is going to commit a crime that he would kind of burgle a supermarket or something like that. And also there's no findings that where he made a public appearance there was a riot, like uh, a hate speaker would do that. I don't know if it hadn't, anyway. So there, there's no point in that, is there? 
No, there is not a single one. And uh, it's good that you uh, mentioned hate preacher, because that is what uh, the minister compared it with. The big difference is that with hate uh, preachers, uh, there is a suspicion of a criminal act or that it is expected that there be a criminal, a criminal act, for example, jihad, etc. Uh, that's obviously a, a, a criminal act. And that means that it is not comparable. Uh, in the case of David Icke, it is uh, that he's always he has never called for violence. He's never been he's never been sentenced, and he always and. And they have not suspected him of committing criminal acts here in the Netherlands. Um, and, and therefore, there was no reason. And for, on the basis of the police uh, files, there is no indication that he is about to commit criminal acts in Lever. So everyone can understand that it is disproportionate. And particularly, there is another. A more simply solu a simple solution if you have reasons to exclude to who is who who has you can they can be banned from 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 you know from from holding speeches <coughs> or, or, or is there any information on who this information, uh, this institution is that acts like a secret service? Is that a private company who pays them? What budget are they paid from? If that is a uh, federal task, it must be a federal budget or a, a government budget. Uh, so one should have to look at what are the plans, what are they used as, and who works there? Is it private companies? And so that's these are things that are um, constitutional relevant. It's part of the Ministry of Justice. It was the only uh, ministry that have no have no uh, own secret service. And 10 years ago, uh, it was necessary for fighting terrorism to, to set up one. But we do a lot with the public. We, we Freedom of Information Act. We apply for the pub, uh, for the uh, publication of uh, even the drafts of the Corona laws came from NTCTV. They didn't come from the Ministry of Health. They came from the secret organization. Everything that's happening came through the NCTV and the persecution of David Engel and other activists were promoted by, they're like a spider on the web, they organize everything. So if you have the Information Freedom Act, uh, that would be applicable to that organization, really, wouldn't it? That's true. And uh, they do a lot that is not published, but what they've done is for a long time, they didn't publish anything, they refused. But then they came out with 10,000 pages, pages in the hope that nobody would look at it. But someone does a, he does a whole uh, good things. He has a computer program uh, developed 
and it searches automatically through various publications and extracts information, just keywords. And we have collected a lot of information. For example, um, we have we have uh, searched budgets and we found 16,000, if I said 16,000 anonymous uh, payments of 10,000 euros. And it never happened before 2020. And we think that these are payments people who have influence, yeah, people who have influence in uh, social media, etc., payments to influencers. Is there also something like a committee or an office that uh, checks the invoices? There is there any accounting office, something like that, that checks the legitimacy of the state spendings, and you can send requests to them as well. And uh, they do reports, and so they have to follow up on this kind of thing. Catherine Arthur Fitz uh, has a function, had a function like that in the US um, in the budgets, and she found that lots of money seems to be vanish somewhere, vanishing somewhere. We have this organization of state governments with uh, public, uh, private companies, and especially in security areas, it's more and more private intelligence firms. And be interested in if you refer to Australia and mentioning that, that these may be companies that work internationally. And if they involve companies in this, it'd be interesting to know what companies are they? Are they international? Is there a company that cooperates with other states and countries? I think that's very interesting to see and look at because this web of security services, which is strongly uh, undermined by private interests and uh, where private and uh, non-political structures have an effect on the political structures. I think this is very interesting because that um, is uh, for transparency. I'm a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist and I like to follow up on these things. So that's something where you could use the information, uh, Freedom of Information well, Act. I on. don't know with regard to what, what kind of companies are involved. We know that KMP, MP, McKinsey, etc., KPMG and McKinsey play a big role in the power structures and they also write huge bills. Uh, the auditing office uh, performs an audit every year and they find that billions, five billions uh, last year uh, disappeared. Nobody knows where, they, where it went and today a couple of days ago, there was a debate in Parliament about 100 million of uh, mask, masks, 100 millions, just simply uh, for the minister and his friend, they spent 100 million and they made uh, several millions profit from this. So it's a dreadful, it's a, it's a, it's a, Pit of, uh, it's uh, this pit is of, conspiracy, uh, it's no theory. I would say you have to be careful in the US. All the documentation of that, uh, of that lost money, 
um, happened to be in the Twin Tower and the World Tower six, 7 and in the Pentagon, and that after 9-11, all of this documentation was gone. That's how they solved it at the time, so make sure that you don't have a building breaking down in Amsterdam with important documentation inside. Uh, you can't, you, we, you, we are not surprised about anything. The Prime Minister, all his text messages were deleted. We, they must be kept, they must be stored, archived. They don't even, they make no secret about it. Everything is open and they say, oh, it doesn't matter. Who is going to uh, question us? And the mask, I, I think the masks have come off. Uh, now that we have the judgment, we know where we are and what direction we're taking. And we are uh, treated like terrorists and 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 extremists. I think it's great that uh, you put your finger into the wound and uh, formally we still live in a state with the rule of law and that we want to do that and uh, we can document it by saying that uh, we use all possibilities of legal suit even though if they are not followed up on it'll be in the books it's documented these are important things that we will need and, and as i said last time we have more than 40 court cases and the minister and all these and the committee and the dutch stiko they had where everything Everything was already in it. All the all the information that was published now was known in 2021, and they can never say we didn't know because we have proof that they knew. Yes, frightening. Do you want to make a final comment on that? Well, I'm a bit speechless. Does that apply to Schengen relatives as well? David Icke is from Great Britain, as far as I know. Schengen, uh, people from Schengen cannot be refused entry. No, not yet. Uh, ban on uh, entry is possible, but the threshold is much higher. She mustn't just suspect someone from from committing a criminal act and for people outside of the schengen area it's much easier to uh, to it's a it's a, it's a much lower threshold <clears throat> yes but they tried it when it started with corona denmark even closed the borders to germany so they just took a different excuse wasn't it but that's normal nowadays uh, for example in the past, they closed borders to uh, avoid people from attending rallies, and that is that is the the Fairness Commission. You probably know that from the European uh, Council. They uh, issue a guide on assembly every year, and it clearly states that you must not uh, that you must not close borders to prevent people from attending demonstrations, and they did this now. So that's a direct contravention. Are you in contact with the Venice Commission? They had good people on it. It was very critical what they did before. They are not voicing themselves anymore, are they? No. 
the European Council, uh, when you when you talk about the uh, court, there are 24 uh, judges out of 100 who all come from Soros foundations. No, I'm not talking about the committee and the European Court. I'm talking about the Venice Commission, which is independent. It's just a consulting board. No, we have no contact. I know that last year in Holland, they, they examined uh, they examined the uh, the Netherlands the, 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 the Netherland, uh, government, but I, I have the feeling that they were all undermined because they were keeping quiet. There's also the Commissary for Human Rights who can look at the praxis in the different countries according to the uh, common charter, but he's not saying anything either. It's all silent, all quiet. Thank you very much. Those are not uh, pleasant news, but I think it's important that we uh, keep uh, at it and uh, keep up to date and uh, publicize what's <coughs> happening. And uh, in uh, the Dutch uh, media, there was uh, uh, obviously uh, some uh, uh, consternation, and I hope that this will prevent, because uh, as you said, uh, it opens the door to all sorts of uh, arbitrary decisions. Uh, so it will have to be uh, checked by. Yes, we're waiting for the court decision now in the complaint, and then <clears throat> we'll go on. And I think in February we'll be in court again and uh, again do this injunction in order to delete this CIS report. We are following up on this. There's a whole uh, suit and another injunction with that. We're going to keep it up, and I'll keep you informed if we have any new turns. Now, enjoy your Christmas, everybody. See you next time. Happy Christmas. Next year, everything will be different. Yes, I think we are just facing the breakthrough, many, many aspects, in many, many aspects, and I think things can only get better. You may not think so, however. We have a short video clip, a little song that we want to show here on Freedom, Freedom by Murina. And I would like to mention one small thing. Last uh, session, I mentioned that we wanted to sell our claim against Rainer Fulmich, who still holds the 700,000 euros of liquidity reserve. And we are now seeing where there are serious offers in. I have an interesting case here. One lawyer from Reiner's uh, law firm uh, approached us saying, I want to help the uh, foundation. So he may be interested in that. Of course, we are happy to hear that. Um, I said this um, offers um, 
this offer goes to his supporters, uh, saying that he could be relieved from that. So support for his work now, or of course there may be people who want to buy this uh, nominal. I'll say something about that in a minute in order to see whether he stands up to his word that this uh, money will be returned and has to be returned at any time to the foundation. I have a legal case with Rainer where he has said that the house, his house is sold, the contract is sold, so the money is going to come. So maybe Rainer will um, run ahead of this and uh, return the money, then this would not be necessary. Apart from that, if that lawyer wants to take action, I'd be happy to address him. I just said that um, we see it is irrecoverable because at the moment we don't know whether the money is there or not from the sale of the house. And it's important um, to say this. We don't want to... Um, um, involve anybody without knowing this here. So it is, if you do that, you pay, the person will pay the support and will get uh, the money on top. It's interesting now that Reiner filed a court suit that um, to say that this is irrecoverable. Maybe there is hope uh, that it is recoverable, so that'd be good. Maybe we'll even get that uh, issue done with, then we and Reiner can carry on our activities in all peace. So I'll keep everybody updated as what's going on. And I'm happily surprised to hear from Reiner's direct environment, maybe it's he who's behind this because I do assume that um, this lawyer doesn't work against his interests. So it's good to see some movement in the matter. And in this sense, I'm optimistic to go to the near future and uh, looking forward to Christmas tomorrow. I hope that you will have a hopefully peaceful Christmas time and that then we will meet again um, after the Christmas prior to New Year. So once more this year, in this sense, Wolfgang, do you want to say something? I wanted to thank you for you, despite of your still uh, visible symptoms, to be courageous enough to uh, join the table and uh, take, make sure that uh, it continues. And I think it's great that you're doing it. And I think everyone will feel how uh, that that it is that 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 that. that I'm, I'm pleased about the strength, and uh, it's nice that you're here. It, the more uh, around the table, the better, and then it's nice to discuss, ask questions when there are two. There are more questions than if there's only one, and uh, questions are the most important uh, thing in our work. Yes, we also work on being with the two of us and even more. <coughs> Merry Christmas to everyone. and. Uh, Happy New Year. Yes. On the 30th. Yes. On the 30th. We have another session. I hope I didn't bust this now by uh, coughing too much. Uh, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. And I'm happy to have this had possible. 
for reasons of well, hygiene, <coughs> cough into your elbow, please. Well, I use the traditional way, and I don't think I can infect anybody. I think it, I may not be sure whether it will be uh, very successful if you cough into your elbow with the puff arms that you're wearing. Okay, one more point. Um, we have a new foundation, as we said, Corona Ausschuss, and I'd be happy, of course, to uh, have your donations and so that liquidity issues that may um, occur from this parallel um, work that um, would enable us to carry on with our work and uh, work in solving the legal old issues. We are working on this. So in this sense, Wolfgang, the legal profession is so expensive, it costs a lot of money. So in that sense, happy Christmas to everyone. See you next week. Yeah.
wird genannt ein Bösewicht. Alles, was die Seele nährt, Kunst, Kultur beisammen sein. Leer sind Gasthäuser und Theater, stumm die Künstler so allein. Doch nicht nur die Seele wollen, die den Freiheitsgeist beschneiden, langsam sie Erlaubnis holen, über den Körper zu entscheiden. Viele lassen wie die Lämmer auf das böse Spiel sich ein. Ja, wir brauchen starke Menschen, die vom Albtraum uns befreien mit dem Worte, mit der Wahrheit, die laut ausgesprochen werden für den Frieden, für die Freiheit. Langsam gibt's Meinungsverbot. Wenn wir nichts mehr sagen dürfen, liebe Leute, sind wir tot. Es ist Krieg und ich möchte
das, was ich bin. Es ist Krieg und ich möchte leben. Leben und lebendig sein. Ich möchte singen für die Menschen. Glücklich mit meinen Liebsten sein. Ja, ich glaube an das Gute, an das Schöne, an das Wahre, an das Licht und an die Freiheit. Gott uns vor dem Krieg bewahre, lasst die Seelen sich vereinen. Dieben widerstehen, den Freiheit dieben. Es ist Krieg und keiner merkt es. Widerstehen, den Freiheit dieben widerstehen, den Freiheit dieben widerstehen, den Freiheit dieben widerstehen, den Freiheit dieben. Ja, ich glaube an das Gute, an das Schöne, an das Wahre, an das Licht und an die Freiheit.